Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing great. Absolutely. Uh, my uh, my wife um, graduated with her master's degree uh, a couple exciting. days ago. It's been uh, days of celebrating with, yeah. her, with her family, with her classmates. There was a big banquet and then yesterday uh, we had a, a party. You weren't there. Our guest was. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's been uh, uh, a fun few days of celebrating my wife's uh, my wife having having letters after her name now. And you know, it's uh, when I hear that that you just she just finished, and I'm about nine days away from starting. Yeah, it's uh, very discouraging, but it'll well, be fun. It, it'll, I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah. Right. Uh, how are you? I'm doing okay. Good. We haven't seen each other in a while. I know because you recorded early and now late so it's yeah. been like close to two weeks since yeah. we've seen each other so special thanks to ryan moody it's yeah. weird to we think that that was our last like episode two weeks ago it was, yeah it's an eternity ago but um yeah so uh nothing really is going on my life is uh, <laughs> my life doesn't change it's about to change uh right. once i start school but uh it's been fine but you just uh speaking of uh our wives your wife had a birthday that is true yes yeah when we went to Disneyland. Yeah, I guess that's why she didn't text me back when I texted her happy birthday. I'm guessing she's too busy Yeah, on, like, the, on the teacups. Well, she can't ride the teacups. She okay. gets dizzy. But oh, yes, we, so were guess, the, we were on the Matterhorn. I guess she could have texted me back while you guys were on the teacups. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but she was, you know what? She was busy taking uh, photos of us oh, laughing right. like a bunch of idiots <laughs> because it was me, Jason, and then Adam Rebitaro, who uh-huh. was in from out of town. Oh, good. And the three of us fit into a teacup, not well. And so we could, we were trying to turn the wheel, but all of our knees were up against the wheel. So we tried to turn it like with our fingers, like a Ouija board thing. Or like a, uh, like a record, like a scratching a record. And it wasn't happening. So we just laughed like a bunch of idiots (laughs) for the entire ride. Uh, And she took photos. um, Can't you put like palm down and spin it from the top? It doesn't work like that? Uh, not well, okay. especially when all your knees are against it. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so that was... Uh, I'll say this as far as developments. Um, okay. Is this about the Star Wars land at Disneyland? No, 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 no. This is uh, something <laughs> far more serious. So, while we were at Disneyland, um, actually before we went in, we went to... Um, I never remember the name of it, uh, but it's at uh, Downtown Disney. It's where Jen and I get beignets before we go in. Okay. They have now introduced... So not Tortilla Joe's, which is the name of the Mexican restaurant in downtown Disney. No. I just, they might have beignets, but we don't get them from there. They don't have that. I'm just saying Tortilla Joe. Tortilla Joe's is a funny name for a Mexican restaurant. And the kind it, of... It just seems like... It does seem like it should be Jose. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying just... Uh, what's, a, what's a Mexican food thing? Tortilla. Yeah. Like Joe. Tortilla Joe. Yeah, problem it just solved. Seems, yeah, yeah. It, it, it seems like... It's it's the perfect name for a Mexican place at downtown Disney. Uh, Adam, Jason, and I were commenting that you can make any movie plot sound really dumb and lazy if you say it in the right tone of voice. Uh-huh. And so it's just like, it's fucking, how is it? it's that? It's like yeah. the guy who's lazy and defensive about it, uh-huh. and just say like whatever movie plot as like the best plot, like Chinatown. And be like, I just, he just wants to fucking get a bunch of water or whatever. I don't know, <laughs> you know. Uh, you can just make it sound really dumb. Anyway, yeah. uh, but no, okay, at so the beignet place, they have introduced. <laughs> they've introduced. Pardon me. <clears throat> Some new beignets that have chocolate in them. Okay. And you know what? 
overload too much too no much? thank you that's okay. too much sugar i went insane and i found uh i found i <laughs> like i'm like a little running kid. around the walls like yeah. roger rabbit like <laughs> yeah yeah so all right so that's the only big development to, that happened in my life in the last couple of weeks too much chocolate too much chocolate um death by chocolate um absolutely let's pay some bills in tomorrowland they have a little chocolate <laughs> cake thing called called darth by chocolate that's You're cute. welcome. That's cute. So, right, let's pay some bills. Okay, absolutely. Because I'm sure they're very happy to have given us money for what you just heard. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the film Whoa. 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 But it's not spelled like that. This is W-O-E. As in, is me. <clears throat> Indeed. Right. Whoa is me, but without the is me. I'm sure they appreciate that. Uh, so this film, Woe, is running an Indiegogo funding campaign. It tells the story of Grace, an elderly woman struggling with the loneliness of old age. She attempts to fill her days by keeping busy with, with household tasks, but, dream, uh, but she dreams of being young again. Now she believes she's found her outlet in her granddaughter, Sophia, who is young Uh, who is a young and beautiful high school girl. Everything that Grace once was. It's a film about how often uh, the people closest to us can go completely unnoticed. Now, the budget of the film is only $2,500, so every little bit helps. And there are less, at this point, less than uh, two weeks left, so please don't wait. Click on the ad at battleshippretension.com to help fund Woe. This episode is also brought to you by Mubi. Now, maybe you've heard of this, but in case you haven't, I will tell you that it is a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently playing on Mubi are a couple of classic films noir, Woman on the Run, and the awesomely titled Too Late for Tears. I love that. Uh, Both films have recently been fully restored and uh, played at the Noir City Film Festival. These are just two of the 30 great movies currently available at Mubi. And there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. Uh, and you, uh, I also want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds and a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great and they sound great and we use them all the time whenever we can, mm-hmm. whether it's appropriate or not. Uh, at a funeral, yeah, it seems, we're happy to yeah. use them. Um, it's tweakedaudio.com. Great earbuds. They're available at a low, low price, uh, but if you put in the extra effort and use the offer code pretension at checkout, uh, you get one-third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So tweakedaudio.com, offer code pretension. Now, I want to ask you something okay. about the word woe because <laughs> I was thinking about it. How do you spell the word woe? Not, 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 not this one. Oh, not okay. this one. But um, if you're, if you're not, not if, this wonderful short film that is, if, you're, if you were funder. transcribing an episode of Blossom, <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I think I probably go H at the end. Yeah. A lot of people do. And I used to, and then I did closed captioning. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing that, there's a house style and they were right. very strict. Woe is spelled W H O A. And now that's just how I spell it, because I did closed captioning for two years, being forced to always spell it W-H-O-A. 
Uh, it is entirely. It's also possible. I also always because of that job I always do all right as two words not not mm. the a l r i g h t you see sometimes because that was another house style but that's like, house style all right as two words and now but it's like it's I did it for two years yeah and now it's just ingrained in my system I don't I'm not in the position of typing woe very often uh, but if I did I think it's it's I think <laughs> you it's need entirely to be IMing with some more interesting people then. <laughs> so, well, I, I'm a big fan of wow or holy okay. shit or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's entirely possible that I probably just go back and forth and I spell it right. differently uh, depending on how I'm feeling that day. Now, our guest is a longtime friend of the show, mm-hmm. um, a former regular contributor to the website, mm-hmm. uh, but now he is a big wig over at another website yeah. uh, that we'll mention in a bit. Um, welcome back to the show from Nerdist.com, Kyle Anderson. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me back. Kyle, oh, yeah. I'm the smallest of wigs over at Nerdist. <laughs> how, uh, how do you spell well? I w- uh, W-H-O-A. Okay. Because uh, as soon as I spell something and I get the little red squiggle, I never spell it that way again. Oh, okay. okay. So... Yeah, and I, I also took for a long time to writing A L L space R I G H T, even though like the kids are all right. Yeah, it's yeah. obviously not the way you spell that, but sure. most people do A L R I G H T. But uh, I don't think it's correct. I don't know if it's correct. I think it's just become a colloquial way to spell it because all right, because it is one word when you say it most of the time. Yeah, when I was a kid, I thought a lot was one word. I did too. Interesting. Yeah, I did too, but quickly someone's like nah don't <laughs> <Yeah>. do that <laughs> all right yeah well um, I, and i do write whoa quite a bit because i have well, to you're writing things. about big news yeah the exactly. big developments. Whoa. whoa this is huge whoa <laughs> did you guys see jk simmons triceps <laughs> that was i did <laughs> out of you know what whoa that's yeah. what all i have to say. he looks like old thor now <laughs> <laughs> who needs batman when you have commissioner gordon <laughs> yeah no i honestly thought when i first saw the picture that it was a photoshop i did too yeah yeah that it was just his head on someone else's i like the idea that this commissioner gordon actually can handle everything fine he's just humoring <laughs> batman yeah <laughs> he's like ah god bless him he's trying but i'm fine well when you have a movie uh, like batman versus superman where for seemingly no reason you have a shirtless bruce wayne hitting a truck tire with a hammer uh just to kind of this is the way he works out yeah i feel like you kind of need a jacked commissioner gordon sure right sure absolutely yeah you can't the only have- person not bulked up is uh lex luther yeah well, he's bulked up in a different way. Sure, absolutely. Which is full of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> you say Luther? It's Luthor, right? That's how I used to say it, and uh, then I heard enough people say Luther, I was like, all right, I guess I'm... Yeah. But it's, it's not ER. I know. No. I say Luthor. Luthor is the way I've always heard it, and they used to do it on the cartoon, but on Smallville, they called him Luther. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because it's less weird sounding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like a name. I am Luthor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just saw, I just saw uh, Warcraft. And the main oh. character's name is Lothar. Uh-huh. And all I could think of was Lothar of the Hill People. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the SNL <laughs> sketch from the 90s. Huh. I don't know that one. Um, uh, well, yeah, I don't know that. Is that like, I that barely was, I barely know. It was Mike Myers. It was Mike Myers was Lothar of the Hill People. Okay. And it was basically just uh, a bunch of Hill People guys talking about their lives. And uh-huh. it was basically just like what guys would talk about at a bar. But yeah. they would t- say it in very old-timey yeah. kind of like... Uh, uh, I will certainly be in the canine hut when I get home. Yeah. Like that type of thing. Yeah, that's, it was basically like the view yeah. for cavemen. Uh, and the, and I remember the opening theme song rather than being like a light and airy thing. It just goes, Lothar. 
of the hill people. <laughs> Just that like five times. Yeah. <laughs> and, it was great. Yeah. And so right, when, I got to look these up. So when the main character says his name is Lothar, I remember just being like, huh. Oh, so how, uh, no, we haven't done a movie journal a long time right. and we won't be doing one for quite for a, a while longer. Yeah. So it'll be a mega episode once we do catch up. Not as not for me. Unfortunately, um, it will be for me. Um, so what thoughts on Warcraft? Um, By this point, your review is up. Isn't oh, it? yeah. It's, yeah. It's been up for several days at this point. Um, yeah. So it is a movie that is only OK, but this is a weird thing to say. I appreciate that they put in the effort, not merely the effort to make the movie, but like all the actors were really committed. Mm-hmm. I really got the impression that like that Duncan Jones was trying to make really solid action set pieces and really trying to have the story unfold in a way that was effective. Um, it's still kind of a mess, but compared to some of the more cynical cash grab movies that we've seen, uh, during summer in the past, I feel like he really wanted to make a good movie. And while it's not that good, I still appreciate the effort. All right. Were there any, um, Leroy Jenkins, uh, in jokes? Do they find a way to work (laughs) Leroy Jenkins into the movie? (laughs) Well, Ben Foster does play a mage, uh-huh. Named Leroy Jenkins, <laughs> so and he rushes into battle and gets then loses the war. Uh, okay, so subtle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about Warcraft. We are here to talk about the LA Film Festival, um, which at this point has been over for a few days. But mm-hmm. this is uh, the first time we were able to get together and do this. Um, Tyler, you were not there. You saw nothing no. at the LA Film Fest. Um, but Kyle was there. Yes, I was. So uh, covering it for Nerdist. I'm glad Nerdist is, has, has loaned you to us to do this episode. Uh, very graciously, yes. Uh, so oh, we're just, David, this is not a loan. I got an invoice from them. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we are going to just talk about the movies we saw. Yeah. Uh, now, I had seen two of the movies uh, at press screenings before the festival started. Mm-hmm. So I'll just talk about those uh, first. I've already talked about them on the mu- movie journal. Uh, two documentaries. One, uh, The Music of Strangers, directed by, uh, is his name Morgan Neville? Uh, the guy who did... Um, That's right. Yeah. He did uh, Enemies... What's it called? Uh, uh, Best of Enemies. Best of Enemies. And he also mm-hmm. did 20 Feet from Stardom. And it's called... This one's called The Music of, uh, the Music of Strangers, and it's about the Silk Road Ensemble, which is... Uh, uh, a, a group of classical musicians headed up by Yo-Yo Ma, each from a different nationality, each playing instruments that are native to them, and they come together and they make music together with uh, all of these different instruments. Uh, the music's good. The docu- documentary itself is very uh, surface level, mm-hmm. but uh, it's an enjoyable enjoyable watch. This guy, Morgan Neville, knows how to make stuff, uh, you know, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Palatable? Yeah, no, I'm trying. He, he, he makes it pop, I guess. Yeah. It's no. not the word I was looking for, but uh, I guess he makes it sing. Um, oh, my. And then I also saw another documentary uh, called Life Animated, which is a, a, a delight, even if it is. It, it's also kind of superficial, but it's superficial about a very um, heartfelt topic, which is uh, autism. And it's the story of a boy who. Uh, essentially stopped talking at about three years old and didn't talk at all for years. Um, he was autistic. I didn't say that, but I probably implied it. Um, 
And then uh, his parents eventually figured out that when he was saying things, they were lines from Disney movies because he was obsessed with Disney movies, would rewatch the same Disney movies over and over again. And his parents essentially learned how to communicate with him via Disney movies. And like his dad would talk to him in Iago's voice and stuff like that. And it brought him out of his shell. And now he is... uh, um, a much more functioning me- member of society. Mm. He's uh, the movie, um, the the main like plot, I guess, uh, is a documentary, but the main uh, story beat of the movie is him moving out of his parents' house and into uh, an assisted li- living facility mm. for, mm. for uh, autistic people. Um, and uh, it's, it's the, the kid himself is, uh, I guess I say kid, but he's like in his early, tw- early twenties by now. Uh, he's such a delight. He's such because he, I mean, he's learned how to communicate by Disney characters. So he's just full of like energy and jokes and smiles. Like he's always, uh, he's, he's a really delightful person. Um, and it's a really heartwarming story. Um, and I, I told, I mean, there's also some, it gets, it manages to get some humor out of it without it, without mocking him, Mm. you know, but, um, one of the, storylines i guess is that he's he has a girlfriend who's also autistic and for his older brother tries to have a, a sex talk with him and it it doesn't even penetrate that that's what he's talking about yeah. and, and, and the older brother just abandons it like three sentences in he's like all right um, <laughs> and then there there's a he has his girlfriend over for a stay-at-home date uh, i talked about this in the movie journal yeah. um they make cook they make cookies together and um, he burns himself on the cookie tray. He's like, ow. And then his girlfriend says, do you want me to kiss it better? And he goes, no, it's all right. Because, <laughs> I, yeah, I guess it's... Uh, anyway, it's funnier to me, apparently, than it is to you guys. But Tyler already heard Well, it. I didn't see the movie. Uh, yeah. Um, so those are the two uh, that I started with. Um, so let me do... Let me mention one more, actually, and then I'll throw to Kyle. And then we can back and forth it. Sounds good. Sound good. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, we also, we saw uh, three of them that I yeah, saw. Yeah, you so also we'll, saw. So we'll have like actual discussions about those. Yeah. Uh, but the first one I want to mention is the first, the first movie I saw at the fest proper and the best thing that I saw. And apparently the jury agreed because it won the, uh, oh, yeah. the, the U S fiction award uh, is called blood stripe directed by Remy Abergenois, who was the son of character actor, Rene nice. Abergenois. Uh, who is also, he's in the movie. Remy is not. Renee is in the movie. Um, also, because, so people, if you don't know who Rene Abergenois is, you probably know him best as Odo from uh, yeah. Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person who was on Deep Space Nine is a character named Quark. Right. Played by Armin Shimmerman, who also played Prin- Prin- Principal Snyder uh, on Buffy. And uh, he was at the screening. Nice. <laughs> he was like two people ahead of me in line. <laughs> I wish I had, I wish, I don't have... I don't have it in me to go ask for someone for like a picture or, or or whatever, but man, how how great would it have been to have a picture of me and Principal Snyder? <laughs> I wouldn't say me and Quark because obviously he wasn't in the makeup, right. uh, <laughs> but uh, that that would have been delightful. Um, no, you, know, you guys you disagree? No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I can't go up to people. Yeah. Ever and well, I won't go up and ask for an autograph or a photo. No, no, what no, I no. will go up and say, I'll go if it's somebody special, then I will just say. I will, in my mind, prepare something that they've done that I really appreciate, and I will just say, here's what this thing meant to me. Thank you so much for it. And then the cynical part of me will kick in, and I'll be like, 
And here's my card. I have a podcast uh, called Battleship Pretension. And yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. yeah, I could so, not do that. Yeah. Oh. Um, anyway, that's not the point. Uh, seeing Armin Shimmerman was not the point of the story. Yeah. Uh, the point is that I saw this movie, Bloodstripe, and it's fantastic. Uh, it is the story of a female uh, U.S. Marine who comes home, uh, and we don't actually... Uh, it, it's it's we never see her at war. the The opening shots are the shots of the uh, of a shadow of a helicopter over the desert, so you know she's leaving. And then we never see. There's no flashbacks. We never see anything of the war itself. We don't even know for sure if she was coming from Iraq or Afghanistan. We know that she's done three tours, and they've been in both countries, but we don't know which one was mo- more recent. I think the movie is very specifically trying not to. Um, specify mm-hmm. uh, things about the war uh because we then uh we we just sort of realized kind of quickly um that she's clearly dealing with some sort of PTSD again the movie never uses that term um it's all everything sort of implied and i think it doesn't want to it doesn't want to like flash back to some really harrowing experience she had in the war because i think the movie's point is that she was at war like that's enough we don't need to know that she like you know we don't know the specifics of someone you know dying in her arms or whatever sort of like it would be like minimalizing to to do that so we just follow her uh she comes home to her husband and um he doesn't really understand what's going on with her because she's come back a couple times before and and been fine something's clearly different he doesn't know how to relate to her and she um essentially on a whim in the middle of the night, uh, gets in her car and drives upstate. This is in uh, Minnesota. So up toward the Canadian border to the camp that she went to every, every summer as a girl, this is now the fall. Um, so it's not in session, but the, um, the woman, uh, who, 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 uh, runs it played by, um, what's her name? Rusty Schwimmer. Do you know who that, uh, she's a character actress. Yeah. Um, and she's fantastic too. Uh, she's like, well, I could use your help, you know, maintenance and stuff plus we have a uh, a church group has rented out the place for a retreat for uh, um uh, a couple of weeks so the, the movie that's that's that gets us to what the movie is which is just her staying in this camp and fixing it up and uh, and dealing with her issues and talking with uh dot played by rusty swimmer and then talking with the uh locals and then with the uh the the leader of the church group is uh, Rene uh, Abergenois. Um, you'd be very happy, Tyler, with the depiction of Christians in this movie. They're all. They're, it was played by him. I like him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is this is a depiction of Christians as very nice and helpful people. No, I'm good. Um, uh, but there, there's no there's no outside. I should say I am neither nice nor helpful. Right. Yeah. So. But you know something to aspire to. Yeah. Um, there's no outside an- antagonism in her life at all. You know, uh, I, I think that's the point is that she's suffering very deeply because of what's going on inside her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the 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 actress uh, is named Kate Nowlin. Um, she also co-wrote the movie and uh, the entire thing. I mean, Remy Abergenois does a good job directing, but the movie rests on this performance because it's such an internal performance. And yeah. it, like I said, it doesn't. Um, it, it, it doesn't try to what's what I'm looking for, uh, literalize what's going on inside right. her or, or, or point at anything. So it's, it's all on her and she's, she's terrific. And I'm, I'm really, really, I was really happy that the movie, uh, won the, the mm. U S fiction award. Was it one of those things where like it didn't, it could have been anything that she was dealing with. It didn't have to be the war necessarily, or was it very specifically about that? Well, I think uh, because it wants, 
I think the movie wants you to think of PTSD and that's sure. what we tend to, we tend to associate that with war, which is, I mean, not, there are plenty of other ways you can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can uh, end up with PTSD, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't think the movie is about war if that's what yeah. you're, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is interesting. We don't see a lot of, um, movies about female soldiers. So no, it, it has a, a good, uh, a, a different twist in, in that way. Uh, and it's, it's just really, it, it's really terrific by being so, uh, subtle and always choosing the, I think always making in both the screenplay and direction choices, uh, a wiser, more subtle choice, mm-hmm. uh, at every turn. Has the director done anything else? Not that uh, I know. Note? No. Or is this like the big I mean, thing? he's an actor too. Okay. Um, so you might've seen him in stuff, but, uh, I'm not sure what else he's, what is he's done. All right. Kyle, what did you see? The first thing I saw um, was this movie called London Town, which is directed by uh, Derek Bort. And uh, um, it's... it's Wait, a, why did you laugh? <laughs> does he have a license plate with his last name on it? <laughs> I th- he did, I'm sure. <sighs> um, uh, but it, it was an interesting kind of story um, to have how the film was made. Uh, it was it had gone through uh, a few drafts by the, this pair of writers, Um under the title untitled Joe Strummer project. Hmm. Um, and it was, but then it eventually found a different writer and became something else. Cause I, I'd heard that they were trying to make a Joe Strummer movie for a while. Um, but basically what this became, what it became was a, it was a, a, a coming of age tale of a kid growing up in the seventies in, um, kind of, uh, suburban kind of North, uh, North suburb of London, kind of a small town. And his dad is played by Dugray Scott, um, hmm. who is, he basically he's raising the the son who's just turning 15 in the movie and then the the young daughter who's probably eight or nine and he's doing he's working all day at this piano store that they own and then he works all night as a cab driver so he's you know he works all the time and, and the, the kid has to take care of his sister and all this stuff and he's very smart and everything but um he's it's kind of one of those like how do i get out of this town type of right. situations well uh, his mom um who left basically after they were born, he she just left. She's played by Natasha McElhone, who I like in pretty much everything she's in. And she basically is, is like a free spirit. She moved to London to be a, a singer in a band or whatever. And, uh, uh, she writes a letter to the son to invite him to spend the summer with her. And he wants to go, but the dad's like, well, no, you have to stay and help me and all this stuff. So, uh, he goes to London to pick up some supplies for the store, um, and on the way he, uh, on the train, he, there's a girl, like a punked out girl and she, uh, she's listening to the clash and he's like, what are you listening to? And she says the clash. And so he listens to it and that kind of like opens his, his eyes. Um, he buys a clash record when he's there in the city with her. And then, um, it's kind of through the music of the clash. He starts to grow up a little bit. Um, uh, Dugray Scott's character gets in an, an accident moving a piano. And mm-hmm. so he's laid up for weeks at a time. He can't, mm-hmm. he's in the hospital for a really long time. And so the son has to run the store. He has to pretend to be, uh, he has to dress up like a woman so that he can, uh, drive the cab. Cause he's too young to be an adult man driving a cab. Mm-hmm. So he's doing all this stuff and trying to, uh, you know, take care of everything while everything's falling apart while at the same time, his life kind of intersects with Joe Strummer and the clash and Joe Strummer is played by uh, Jonathan Reese Myers, who does a really good job. I think mm-hmm. um, who's much older than Joe Strummer would have been at the time, right. but it didn't really matter too much. And the great thing about the movie is that 
they actually were able to convince the remaining members of the clash to let them use clash music. Not, there were a couple songs that were like the original recordings, but mostly they had, uh, they bought, uh, they bought, <laughs> they bought these people. They, uh, <laughs> hired these people who were great musicians to be the three other members of the band and then kind of just taught, uh, Jonathan Reese Myers, the songs to play. And he sang as Joe Strummer and it really good stuff. And they probably apparently didn't get the rights to the, the real people of the other members of the clash in the credits. Like he says their names out loud when he, when he goes and says hello to them, their first names, but in the credits, they're just clash band members. So like, uh, they couldn't get, uh, like Mick Jones said, yeah, you can use the music, but you can't say my name kind of thing. But okay. like, you know who that, that's who that is. Right. Um, and it's sort of like the magical, like you, there's no way that this kid would keep running into Joe Strummer kind <laughs> of thing. But, um, uh, and parts, it, it's a little light in places, uh, but it's trying to be heavy because there's all this like political unrest at the time. And there's like the skinheads would show up at these punk rock shows and cause trouble and all this stuff. Um, and so like at one point, Oh, skinheads, oh, skinheads. <laughs> um, uh, like the kid gets thrown in jail and then Joe Strummer gets arrested also and thrown in the same jail cell. So they spend a night in the jail together. It's like, all right. But, um, and the, so some of the political stuff doesn't really work for me, but it, what does work is like, he kind of strikes up this friendship with Joe Strummer throughout while well, he's trying to deal with his stuff. And, um, and obviously the music clash is great. So, uh, I was sort of listening to that nonstop for like a week yeah. afterwards, but, um, and that one, uh, before, cause I went to the premiere, the world premiere of it, but before that it got picked up by IFC. So it had already gotten distribution. So you'll be able to see it soon. And I think it's a fun little movie. It's not breaking any new ground or anything like that, but, um, but it's a fun movie about kids loving punk rock music. Terrific. Um, next up for me is, I guess a fun movie, but, uh, overall kind of a disappointment. It's called opening night, which caused lots of, uh, who's on first type of, uh, <laughs> confusion, uh, cause it wasn't on opening night. It was a festival. Oh, man. Oh, boy. And, uh, when I was in line for it, someone said, what are you in line for? I said, opening night. They said opening night of what? <laughs> uh, that's the name of the movie. Um, that's a real thing. <laughs> a real conversation that, uh, that took place. Um, so opening night is a, um, I guess told in real time Broadway musical satire that is also itself a musical. Um, oh, that sounds insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, that doesn't necessarily sound insufferable to me. The movie is not insufferable. The it's, it's a perfectly pleasant watch. It's just, uh, when it is all, when it's all said and done, you kind of realize, um, not even by the end as it's happening, you're realizing how formulaic it is, which is unfortunate for something that's supposed to be a satire. That's making fun of, uh, Broadway cliches. Um, and then ends up just being a really, uh, by the numbers type of, uh, romance story. But Topher Grace stars as the stage manager who was a former Broadway star himself, who uh, had a terrible opening night and choked in front of everyone and then quit, acting and went into stage managing because apparently that's what apparently you can do that um i I, I, (laughs) you don't have to work your way up to stage manager you can just be a failed actor and say Mm -hmm. i think i'd like to stage manage some shows uh spoken like a real backstage guy (laughs) um so uh so he's uh, um he's a stage manager and it's opening night of a broadway musical called one hit wonderland which is a uh fictional uh, obviously for the movie um jukebox musical uh that where that fashions a loose story about a one-hit wonder uh singer and then all the songs they sing are actual one-hit wonders from like the 80s and 90s 
uh, J.C. Chazay from uh, InSync, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, plays himself, starring in One Hit Wonderland, and he's uh, he's one of the best parts of the movies. Even like I, I, the movie, I, I think the idea of a real person playing an exaggerated asshole blowhard version of themselves has been done a lot yeah. like, to death. He still, he nails it. I think he's, mm. uh, he's, he's very funny. Um, and then actually gets like, um, a, a little bit of a heartfelt, like monologue at one point about, uh, what it is to be the other guy from NSYNC and mm. like what it means to like, um, on the one hand have achieved so much more than most people ever get to achieve. And then, but, but still feel like overlooked. It's, it's actually a very nice moment. Uh, but the, the, the rest of the cast is, is terrific. So you've got, uh, Topher Grace of whom I've always been a fan. Um, JC Chazé, uh, Anne Heche plays, um, a, the female lead in the, in the show. Who's a, like a sort of faded Broadway star. um, who else? Um, I'm, I'm missing some big ones here. Rob Riggle plays the producer. Um, Paul Shear plays the prop guy. Uh, Brian Husky plays the uh, theater's uh, on-site uh, medic. Mm. Um, and uh, Tate Diggs is the other one that I'm missing. Who, who's uh, Tate Diggs plays um, one of the members of the cast, but who is also one of Tover Grace's close friends from his own Broadway days. So mm. they're very so he, the, he's the one they confide in. Uh, and so it just there's love stories and also just shenanigans that unfold over the course of, you know, what kind of movie this is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just a bunch of stuff happening, but, um, uh, yeah, ultimately I was disappointed in it. I did like the turn that, I, that I wasn't expecting, which is that, so we're seeing the musical numbers, some of them on stage, you're seeing them doing one hit wonders, like, you know, rock me Amadeus and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that's the name of that song. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's just Amadeus. Okay. No, it is rock me Amadeus. Is it rock me yeah, Amadeus? Right. Okay. Um, by Falco. Um, okay. Just got a weird text. Uh, it's not, not for you. <laughs> it's written in wingdings. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, but the, what I liked was the turn. So you're seeing these musical numbers on stage, but, uh, eventually it actually becomes a musical like, off stage like it so you there's uh during a break in action on stage jc chazay does a number in the dressing like the women's dressing dressing room about uh how many women he's how many of them he slept with over the course of the rehearsals to the and he does mambo number five <laughs> <laughs> and then like later tay diggs does um the bad touch by bloodhound gang you remember that yeah uh, uh and uh um, another actress does, uh, I know what guys like by the waitresses. And these are like, so there's, it's a musical on two levels. Yeah. You're seeing yeah. A musical and it is a musical. That was my favorite part of it actually. But, uh, again, I, I, I just eventually it, it just has to build to something you see coming a million miles away. That's completely phony and, uh, it done a million times. Although the song at that point is the Mr. Big song. Um, I'm the one who wants to be with you. Sure. Yeah. Song, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a great song by the way. Um, if a little troubling lyrically, okay, basically the, the point of that song is apparently, look, I've been your friend and I've been nice to you. Now it's my turn to be your boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> like, but feel that's, free that's to move, <laughs> feel free to move on from me, but it is my right, turn. Yeah. I'm next. <laughs> yeah. Not saying it's gonna be forever, <laughs> yeah. but I've earned the right to be your boyfriend. <laughs> it's a little, a little unsettling. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, guys, that's that's not how it works. Uh, um, all right, so that's opening night. Okay. Uh, feel bad for all those people who've lived their lives by that Mr. Big song and now have been told <laughs> otherwise. That's not how you do it. Uh, the next movie I saw, um, uh, I didn't know that uh, David was also in the theater for this. We mm. talked about that later on. Yeah. Um, uh, so through Nerdist.com, we basically, uh, myself and the other writer who was covering stuff, put down what we thought. You're would- allowed to say their name. Luke Thompson is his name. Oh, <laughs> no, thank you. Who is, uh, who is the new, he's written for us for a while, but he's the new weekend editor. Uh, he took my old position. Okay. So, oh, never mind. Uh, it's, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a saint of a man. Um, but so he went to some of the stuff that I couldn't go to and we kind of did, but, um, we, we were given what we should go and write about. So I would have seen more. Um, but also it was in Culver city and I didn't want to drive all the way down there every time. But, um, uh, the day I only had two, two things to see, but it was, uh, a few weeks ago in Los Angeles was, I don't know, the hottest. And we live in the Valley, the one of the hottest days in a long time. And I was sitting there drenched in sweat, doing nothing in my apartment. So I was like, I should probably just drive to Culver city where it's much cooler, much, and, sit, much cooler. and go and see any movie. Um, it was much cooler to the point where it was like, too far in the other direction. It was direction. like 20 degrees cooler. It was <laughs> yeah, insane. And like foggy. Yeah. It was like, and oh, I went from, yeah, it being 96 degrees in the valley yeah. to now I need a sweatshirt yeah. to wait in line for this it movie. It was bizarre. So I ended up going and and I was just like, I will see whatever movie is playing when I get there. And that movie ended up being called Play the Devil. It was a, a film written and directed by uh, Maria Govan. Uh, I knew very little about it. I, you know, it just sounded like an interesting idea. Um, and it's sort of like, it's a drama, but it's also uh, gets to be a little thrillery, I guess a little bit. Um, it's about a, a young man growing up in Trinidad and Tobago, um, in a very specific region of it where they, uh, are around carnival time, which is, you know, right before, um, uh, Lent, mm-hmm. uh, they do this, uh, this ceremony, everyone in town does this thing where they basically dress up like the devil or demons and just kind of dance and like scream mm. through the streets. And that gets their like evil energy out. Ah. So leading up to that, it's like the purge, it's like the purge. Yeah. But, <laughs> but through dancing and, oh, yeah. and blue paint. Mm. Well, uh, I haven't seen the, the purge. purge. That's what I mu- thought it was. What if the purge is a musical? What if we made there has, there's a musical of American psycho now. Yeah. Hmm. When do we get, the purge musical the purge musical <laughs> get out of my house. We're not purging tonight. <laughs> um, so this kid, uh, is, is a really smart, he's like best in his class. He, he, but they're very poor. Uh, and he needs uh, a scholarship to be able to go to wherever he wants to go. And the only way he's going to get that is if he does medicine, but he doesn't really want to be, uh, a doctor. He wants to be an actor. He's in, mm-hmm. he was in this play and it opens on this play. Um, and while he's there, this man whose daughter is in the show sees him and he's a, he's like a wealthy guy who went to England to study and all this stuff. And they strike up a kind of friendship, but the whole time you're going, the guy is interested in more than just being this kid's friend. Right. And ultimately it starts to, and, and at the, the kid lives with his grandma and his older brother who, uh, is a farmer and he's just a, a tough guy who is kind of, he's, he's working crappy jobs to make sure his brother gets ahead and all this stuff. Uh, he's also not a very nice guy to his girlfriend and, uh, grows pot and all this stuff that we kind of, they just kind of have to let him do that stuff because he's the breadwinner and, mm-hmm. and the grandma works all the time too. And the father comes in and out and he's, he's a drug addict and stuff like that. So all these kind of, he, his life is not very easy. Um, and then this man is, is basically offering him, help and offering, you know, cause their little hut needs, 
um, roof repaired. Right. And so he offers to pay for that and all this stuff. But uh, it all kind of culminates in the middle of the movie of this weekend that the, the kid goes on with the, the guy and uh, uh, and they they have sex and the kid doesn't know. I mean, he's he's a kid who's probably gay. And we found out after during the uh, the Q&A that uh, homosexuality is, in fact, illegal in mm. Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, OK. Uh, it was. I didn't say for the Q&A. OK. Uh, it was pretty enlightening. Um, also found out that the guy playing the uh, the rich guy mm-hmm. had never acted before. Really? Yeah. Which is really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought he did a great job. Yeah. He's like, I, I, he's like a designer. Uh, oh and yeah. In my review, I actually compared him to John Malkovich in the yeah. way he has a sort of like Absolutely. quiet menace. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so he wants to continue the relationship and the kid's like, we can't, I, I need to, I can't worry about this anymore. And then the guy keeps pursuing it and eventually ends up, uh, in sort of a tragic moment of weakness for the, the kid. And, uh, uh, I, I was really, again, didn't know anything to expect about this. Um, parts of it I could kind of see coming a little way, but, uh, ultimately I thought it was a really well acted and well shot movie about a culture I know very little about No, Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's essentially a, uh, it's, it's the kind of thriller you've seen before. In Absolutely. A way. Yeah. Um, but because it's things like the location and the specificity of carnival and, um, it being about, um, a, uh, a gay kid, like yeah. it, it has enough new things to, to make it, to make it feel fresh. And I, I liked cause the guy, um, the older guy, is from the first scene so clearly predatory yeah that i'm like that i'm at first i was like how do you to the like to the kid i'm like how do you, how do you not see what's going on here yeah. but i like the i think it eventually become like the reveal you're saying this kid might uh you know may in fact be gay but might be so closeted or whatever. yeah um the so i came to the realization is like oh he does he knows what's going on yeah and he's just conflicted about how much he wants to play into it yeah and i liked seeing that seeing that play out um, I really like the way the movie starts. Um, but I don't know if you remember the very beginning is it's the thing that happens at the very end, yeah. but it's not like one of those like, uh, in media res things where you see how everything ends up and then you're like, okay, how are we going to get there? Yeah. It's an out of context thing from the very end. Like, yeah. You don't realize what it is. And yeah. You don't realize, um, how it plays into the story until you catch back up to that point. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a great opening sequence. It's, it's our main character and his best friend, uh, who is not as, as smart and, and doesn't go to school and is, is kind of, but uh, is a loyal best friend, but is a loyal best friend. Yeah. The two of them in their blue devil, uh, out, you know, paint and everything walking through the forest. And there's mm. just, it's just serene and you don't know why they're dressed like that. And then yeah. it cuts to him in a, in the play and then it sort of eventually gets back to it. Yeah. I was, I was really taken by, and, and she does a good job, uh, Maria Govan of not, uh, like it is a thriller in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. she doesn't, it's not like, you know, tense music kind of stuff. It's right. all just through action and everything. And, and something as simple as, uh, the guy gives him a camera cause the kid really likes photography and he, he's made the CD of the photos that he took and the kid keeps deliberately not taking it. Mm-hmm. And so that, and that little prop ends up being like the, not like not a MacGuffin at all, but it's like the guy keeps showing up and saying, Oh, you left this. Like that keeps being his way back in and the kid doesn't want it or throws it away. And then the Mm. guy finds it again. It's, it's, it ended up being, uh, uh, a really interesting portrait of this kid. Um, independent of the thriller aspect of it. I just liked that kid. And the, the kid was, uh, uh, not a local, he was British. Uh, and they Mm. did all their, uh, rehearsal via Skype. 
hmm. he was saying. Wow. Um, which is pretty amazing too. But uh, I, I'm surprised that, that, that he was not alone. I was too. Because he does, uh, I can't remember if you mentioned this already, but uh, it's a movie that is entirely in English, but parts of it are subtitled. Yeah. Because when it's just him and his family and the locals, their dialect is so thick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm surprised because he was speaking that dialect. Yeah, I was too. Everything about him seems like he's that kid from that yeah. place. Um, but no, he's he's a professional actor from England. Um, so everything about that, the two guys, because they were the, the two guys were there for the, the Q&A. Uh, the one guy had never acted before. Uh-huh. And the other kid was not from that place. And I was just like, that is amazing to me. That's great. That, yeah. I and should stay for more Q and A's, but they're, uh, they're rough. Yeah. <laughs> Once they get to the audience portion, luckily there's usually not enough time, which I think we'll talk about later about the, the well, time aspect. Let's, let's, let's do it now because we're on to Saturday yeah. now. And this is about when things started going haywire. Uh, okay. So at festivals, movies outside of the P and I press and industry screenings, that's a term. Um, <laughs> Movies never start on time at festivals. Never, yeah. It's just something you you know they're because they're they're up against one another and scheduling. They're filtering people in, and then there's a you know usually an introduction to the beginning. Yeah. So you have to factor in a certain amount of of lateness. But uh, LA Film Fest, especially on Saturday this year, went beyond the pale <laughs> in terms of of lateness. Yeah, it was getting really bad. And and last this is the first year that they were at the Culver City Arclight. Uh, years previous to all the ones that I've been to before were at the Regal Cinemas downtown. Yeah. Um and that felt I mean there was definitely late starts but it didn't feel quite as um quite as egregious last year or the years before. But I don't know what it was if it was the the theater itself because this was an Arclight as opposed to a Regal if they were just more like diligent about cleaning after every screening. I don't know what, but the screenings were going long anyway, but it got to the point on, on Saturday that you weren't even let in. Cause you have to wait outside to be let in with your badge or your ticket or whatever. Yeah. They weren't even letting people in until 20 minutes after the scheduled start time. And yeah. that type of stuff really, cause I used to, uh, when I was in college, I ran, I was a house manager for our theaters, our local theaters and that type of stuff. It's like, you cannot, do that type of stuff yeah. for people it, who have paid. Cause we, David and I and other press people got badges for free. So, yeah. cause we're reviewing these other people in the lines paid for these movies yeah. yeah, and they're waiting sometimes up to 40 minutes before the movie actually starts. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to more on that, but, uh, you're, yeah, not only were they not letting people in until late the way that, because the lines are out in the courtyard Yeah, to get to the theater, you have to go, through the lobby, which is also where the Arclight bar is. So it's a right. crowded, yeah. essentially you're walking through a bar yeah. and then into the theater. So they're not just saying, okay, the line's open. They're taking you in groups of 10 to 15 at a time and leading you there. Yeah. So when they start letting people in 20 minutes after, it's still going to be a long time before they get everybody in because they're doing it in these chunks yeah. and it just set things so, so far back. I missed a party that I was invited to. Really? I, I was invited to one of the, uh, uh, the, the premiere parties and, um, uh, RSVP'd. And then I was like, Oh, I'll go after I see this movie. And it was so far, uh, behind that. I, I missed the party. So yeah, it's, it was can, just, that's just to give you an idea of the heartbreak yeah. caused, but no, it was, uh, I, am I'm, I'm a big fan of LA film fest. Yeah, there are too. a lot of things about, um, this new setting, uh, in Culver city that I really liked. Me too. Um, uh, I, I liked the, the area and the, the, the fact that I mentioned the courtyard, mm-hmm. it's cool that it has the whole, you know, when you walk out, you're not just walking out to the street. There's yeah. the whole setup with tents and everything out in the courtyard. And then there's the, the lounge, which, uh, 
it was great. It, yeah, was, it was on really the cover cool. lot, uh, you know, grass and, uh, and, and tents and, and seating. Whereas in the past years, I think the lounge and the, it was like, on the roof, it was <laughs> on the roof of the parking structure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was basically a tent that was on the roof. Yeah. It was, there were, it was fine, but it was yeah. this year's one where they really like built it up. And I like the fact that they have you park at Culver studios. Um, and once you do that, you never have to cross a street. Like you're, it's all, you basically just yeah. walk around a corner and there's the courtyard and there's the, the Culver hotel, which is where they have all their media center. And, uh, they had, I didn't get to attend any this year, but they had some other talk backs or their, like, uh, their seminars to, or whatever. Yeah. And then the arc lights right there and there's restaurants around. It's a really nice area. Yeah. I, I, w- I would be perfectly okay if it stayed there. Me too. And I've gotten the impression, uh, from, someone we all know who works for film independent that they will be there again. Yeah, next yeah. Year. I just hope they work on that timing. Yeah. Thing. And, and that's, uh, I felt bad doing it, but I did, I did speak to this mutual friend of ours who works for them. I was just like, this is, you can't have this happen. And, and, and there were apparently something going on with the theater itself, yeah. but it was, it was the kind of like that theater had never done a film festival of that size everything is understandable, but it got to the point on Saturday where everything was so far back behind. Yeah. I, I was staying and I'll get to that, that movie in a little bit, but, uh, I was staying for one of the, the night, uh, whatever they were called, like the horror movie showcases yeah. that they do. Uh, yeah. And I can't remember what they yeah. call them. Um, but, uh, nightline, but that's Ted Koppel. Um, it, it was scheduled to start at 11 and it didn't start until midnight, hmm. which is, I, it's already a late night for me. Uh, I was already waiting around after my last screening to, to go to this movie. You got to drive back to the Valley. Yeah. yeah. And, and every, it was very clear that there was a party for the cast and crew before the movie. Uh-huh. So they were all, <laughs> while we're getting sitting down, waiting to go hoot, hooping and hollering and talking and yelling <laughs> at each other in the seats. And, uh, I'm just like, guys, it's tomorrow. Can we start this yeah. movie, please? It wasn't a long movie, but it was, I was really annoyed. That was the one Q and a, I was just like, I'm not staying for this one because right. yeah. I want to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. And plus they're all drunk and plus they're all drunk. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, well, let me, uh, we'll get to that movie actually, I guess, uh, soon. Yeah. Um, but the next movie up for me, um, was one of the, was a premiere. Uh, I like, uh, I'm torn. When I was at Sundance, there, there were little, there were full days when I would just go to P and I screenings <laughs> and I kind of, uh, and on the one hand, you're missing out on some of the, like the festival atmosphere, yeah. but it is fun and like, it is easy to just do like the, there's yeah. no introduction beforehand. There's uh, everything starts more or less on time. You're pretty much guaranteed to get in. Uh, I like the, the, the P and I screenings at festivals, but I also like going to a premiere because everyone's yeah. in a happy mood. Um, cause it's, it's their movie. Premiering. Uh, and this was, uh, one called track town that mm. I was really, uh, really happy that I, that I went to. Um, although we did get, uh, <laughs> there was, um, problems with the movie. This one started way late. Uh, and the, one of the volunteers was trying to make an announcement saying, we're trying to get people in. If there's an empty seat next to you, uh, you know, please let people sit there. Please don't save seats. And some guy just starts yelling over her. Then why did you overbook the screening? And he's and she's like trying to ignore like just please move toward the center. Why did you overbook the screening? Just like yelling at this woman uh, because apparently he was trying to save three seats and they kept telling him uh, you can't. But his friends were like late or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually he uh, he kept yelling at, at her. They had security come. 
Um, and then he gave up and left and everyone applauded when he left. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was happy. Yeah. He had just, he was in the center of like the second row. So he had to make his way over everyone while we're all clapping. Um, cause seriously, fuck that guy. Like, come on. Um, but then the movie started and it was good. Um, in a lot of ways it seemed, it's the kind of, uh, it seems like a American indie festival type hit in that it's a, quirky coming of age story and it's the kind of thing that i normally don't really like yeah but um this one's really earnest um it has jokes in it but it's really earnest and it has a fantastic lead um who is also the co-writer and co-director her name's alexi pappas um and she directed it with her i I think her boyfriend uh something tyker jeremy tyker uh that sounds right yeah um uh, and it's, so it's about a young woman who is trying to qualify for the Olympics in track. Um, and what I learned, uh, afterwards is that Alexi Pappas herself has not only qualified, but will be running in the 2016 Olympics. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she's not, she's, I've read the a whole article about this woman. She's like amazingly talented. Like she's an Olympian and also an actor, comedian, writer, director, like, uh, r- really impressive. And she's a, uh, she's a, she's a great lead character. Just sort of like, um, there's two races in the movie. There's the first one, which is her qualifying for the qualifying try, you know, uh, run. And then there's like a three day. And then the movie culminates with her going to the one where if she finishes in the top, whatever in this race, she will go to the Olympics. That's what we're building toward. But, um, she, put some strain on in the first uh, race puts a little bit too much strain on her, on her leg. And so her doctor says tomorrow, don't go back to training, take the day off. You just need to rest. And this is a young woman who, since she was eight years old, has not taken a day off. She's worked everything. Everything about her has been working towards the Olympics. Uh, and she's an, an incredibly routine based person, which speaks to me as someone who lives, uh, makes no decisions, uh, on my own. I, I have, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have my own, uh, uh, schemas for, and routines for everything that I do. Um, uh, and so suddenly she finds herself with a day off, uh, and she just sort of walks around. And so most of the movie ends up taking place on this one day, um, with her not really having anything to do. And then it picks back up and goes to the, to the race. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's really good. It's re- I think the, the authenticity brought to it by Alexi Pappas and her actual experience, um, definitely helps. It feels, uh, verisimilitudinous. Um, Great word. Uh, it, it's, it, it's really, it's really honest and, um, and, and heartfelt. Um, the, there's not many, uh, names in the cast her mom is played by rachel dratch that's she, that's probably the biggest name in the cast and then her dad is played by an actor that i recognize but i can't tell from what i want to say it's andy buckley hmm. mm. anyway um so that's track town yeah uh i didn't know this beforehand but i saw pictures on facebook a guy i went to college with who was in the theater program at unc you know uh north colorado was in that movie oh what's his name uh zach tordowski he's not on um uh, uh, IMDb because oh. I checked. There's a very few names on IMDb, but he was like there getting pictures taken with the cast and stuff. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Good for you, man. Um, Andy Buckley's this guy. You know oh, him, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, oh, in the, yeah. he was on The Office. He was on The Office. He plays, uh, uh, oh crap, what's that character's name? Okay. David something? David Wallace. Oh, that's David Wallace. right. That's what I know him from. Yeah. Okay. He was also in uh, Jurassic World. 
Yeah, he plays the kid's dad, deadbeat dad or whatever. Scott. He's not a deadbeat. Apparently his name is Scott. In, in Jurassic World. In Jurassic World, yeah, he yeah. Plays Scott, opposite Julie Greer. Ju- right. Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Um, the next movie I saw after Play the Devil was this one that I was assigned to see. <laughs> no, I would have wanted to see it anyway, called uh, Actors of Sound, which is a documentary about Foley artists. Hmm. It was uh, written and directed by Lalo Molina, uh, who uh, and, and apparently uh, got it funded via Kickstarter. Uh, it's a fun look at the way that that's basically the last truly analog job on mm-hmm. movies. Cause it's just people sitting in inside, but in like holes in the floor full of dirt and stuff <laughs> with old, uh, junk that they find that just makes weird noises and they make noises and the whole thing. And you, you follow several different Foley artists. They kind of just talk about their craft and stuff like that. And, and what they're, you know, like some of them are like, Oh, I'm really good at papers and I'm really good at, you know, uh, manipulating metal and there's like people who are great at footsteps and stuff like that. And it's just because, uh, and, and the, the whole argument of the movie is that, uh, that's the one thing that uh, you, you can use library tracks, but audiences will tell if it's not something mm-hmm. normal. And they use, they have a lot of examples of things that were foleyed that you would never know. Basically the entire show of breaking bad was foleyed. Huh. Um, and they show like some of the scenes that took place in the big lab, like when they're working for Gus, uh, and this one guy did all the Foley for it and they would purposely not have any sound or score so that it could just be these very specific sound effects, kind of like the way Italians used to make movies, yeah. which were like the sound effects became part of the, the soundtrack because they could control that. And, um, it's amazing to me that, that, something like that or these bigger movies. And they were sort of lamenting the fact that the studios are closing down like the independent studios of, of Foley artists are closing um, because more and more low to mid budget films aren't using actual Foley artists. They're just using library tracks for things or, or trying to record it live themselves. Um, um, but that, I mean, it goes, it's a, it's like an hour 40, something like that. Uh, it could have been 50 minutes. Like I would have gotten it. Like I like, I liked all the Foley artists. They were engaging people, but I think it made it's, it's one point that it was trying to make, which is that we need to, these are, these are artists. These are performers. They actually aren't just, you know, technicians kind of stuff. And they add, uh, life to some of those moments. I get it. (laughs) Thank you for that. But yeah. Um, did you, did you ever watch Cheap Seats, the, uh, yeah, the Blood Brothers seats. thing? Do you remember they did a, 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 a sketch where John Benjamin was a, a Foley artist for pro wrestling? No, I didn't. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he was like hitting himself in the head to make it like like a chair getting hit in the head. But I didn't remember there's, I think he was trying to do like the squeak of the ropes and he's just like rubbing a, a styrofoam packing peanut against his forehead. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah. Um, oh. Uh, what's next for me? I forgot to look. Oh, next for me is one that is uh, right up my alley. Um, and I guess because of that, I enjoyed it. But I'm not sure I would recommend it to everyone. It's called Dying Laughing. And it's just a mm-hmm. documentary about comedians where they yeah. interview comedians from all like levels of fame and uh, diverse backgrounds. It's a, The most impressive thing is the the comedians that they got. Mm-hmm. And, and even after you've watched this movie for an hour and a half or whatever... 
uh, and seen all these great comedians interviewed, they in the credits have, hey, here's a, here's everyone we interviewed. Some people like there's people who are like huge names who they just didn't use any of their footage. Like hmm. it's a, a huge cast. It's hmm. one that I would really like to have a special edition DVD, but only for comedy nerds like me. If you're not a comedy nerd, I'm not sure that there's much here for you. There's some good stories, um, and there's a whole huge chunk of the movie is about bombing and dying on stage. It's probably what dying laughing is yeah. probably where they got the movie from, and that's um, really interesting. You get mul- multiple comedians um, talking about the experience of bombing, and one guy actually like he talks about getting booed off stage and being too green to know how to handle it and having to put the mic back in the stand and walk off. And he starts crying. Like it's, this is such a painful memory for him. And the fact that it's, it's not the getting booed, it's the leaving that, that kills him as a comedian. Like that's just something he's not, uh, he's like shamed that he, that he did that. Um, uh, that's a fascinating story. You also get a lot of people talking about, the relationship between the comedian and the audience. Um, and it's weird. Like people, these people weren't in the same room. They're all interviewed separately. But when it comes to that relationship, the community between the stand up and the audience, um, they all seem to have the same general idea, um, which is, um, Jerry Seinfeld is one of the people. And he, he says, I'm not seeking their approval. I'm seeking their sublimation. Uh, and Billy Connolly talks about, um, trying to get them to be one thing. Yeah. As opposed to 3000 people, you want them all to be to you want them all to be having the same reaction. And so you're not talking to 3000 people, you're talking to one entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, um, that's when he talks about hecklers. When someone heckles, it's like all the work, all the work you've done to create that one entity gets shattered. And not only do you have to deal with the heckler, you now have to work to get the yeah. audience back to being the one thing. That stuff's really fascinating. Again, if you're a comedy nerd, if you just listen to me say all that and were bored or thought that was pointless, um, I'm not sure there's anything here for yeah. you. And also, I guess the other thing is we have so many podcasts that are about this now. I was going to say, <laughs> like, if you are a comedy nerd, my guess is you've listened to a bunch of podcasts. You've seen comedians in cars getting coffee. You've seen the documentary comedian. You've probably seen the aristocrats. You've probably seen I am comic. Maybe I am road comic. Like if you're that much of a comedy nerd that you, you want to see this as well, those sto- these stories are infinitely fascinating to me. Yeah. But, and I do like some, the, like the audience, uh, comic thing like that's, you're now actually getting into like theory, yeah. you know? Uh, and I like that. But at the same time, I do find myself wondering like, as fun as it is to hear people talk about their profession uh, and it's a creative profession and one that is more, has more artistry than people assume after a while you start to wonder, was this necessary? So let me ask you this. So you and I are both comedy. The three of us are all comedy yeah, nerds. Comedy we nerd. all, you know, we love comedy and we've heard a lot of people talk about comedy for hours at a time. Yeah. Uh, do, did you find this necessary? Um, I guess it depends on to me. Yes. I think there are, um, I think the difference between this and, you know, here you're getting total with, you know, the movie's 90 minutes with Jerry, let's say Jerry Seinfeld alone. You're maybe getting a total of five minutes of material because there's so many people. Uh, whereas if Jerry Seinfeld's on, uh, what on, uh, WTF, it's going to be two hours. Right. 
um, in that sense, obviously, it seems more superficial about individual comedians. But what you do get um, that those podcasts can offer is multiple ruminations on one topic. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's one part in it where it talks about um, how these different comedians build a special, like an hour-long special. And you get a bunch of different people talking about their process of how they build a special. Jamie Foxx was talking, told a really interesting story is that when he's, when he's trying to work toward, and when he was trying to work toward a special, he would go on the road and he would go to someplace like Boise, Idaho, like the whitest place you can think of and do all his black material and then go to a black place and do all his like, uh, non black m- m- material and try to figure out, okay, what of the, black person material works for the white audience and what mm-hmm. of the white or whatever, you know, the non, uh, non-specific material works for the black audience and sort of, he could build his set right. out of learning what works for the most people. Mm. That's really fascinating. Again, to me, <laughs> I don't know how fascinating that is to, well, I think what it comes down to is, you know, not unlike this, this Foley artist thing, um, you know, any documentary or any film can be necessary. And I'm sorry to use that term again, but like, if it, if it sheds light on something. Um, and so like the Foley artist thing, this is something that we find very interesting and yes, it might've gone on a little bit too long, but because it's like, all right, 50 minutes, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's still, it's something that is new. There aren't a lot of movies made about that right. specifically. So sure. Let's see it. Whereas this, we've seen a lot of, com- we've heard a lot of, comedy analysis and and we've seen it but stuff like how do you build a special that's a real thing that you don't hear that much uh, and from multiple sources the difference is most people don't ever think about foley artists right yeah so a documentary on them is is revelatory yeah it's like, wow, I had no idea these people were working behind the scenes. We all know what stand-up comics are. I think most people don't care how they build a special. That's true. Although, and this is where maybe we're, we're dipping into what I find interesting and how I think other people should live, um, <laughs> is that they should. Uh, any, you know, as, as cynical as I might be about, like, is this film necessary or not? I do, you know, one of our pet causes, it would appear, is trying to get people to take comedy seriously yeah. and recognize how much of an art form it is. And stand-up especially is so pure. See, now you're um, making me wish I'd been nicer to the movie in my review. <laughs> well, you can go back and change it, you know. Um, Ethically, can I? <laughs> I'm not sure if I can. You could print a retraction. There you, there you go. go. <laughs> they used to do in the old times. Um, but yeah, and just, uh, and you know, the review is a snapshot of what you felt at the time before you mm-hmm. talked to your, you know, smart and insightful friend, Tyler Smith. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like this is there's it's it's a very pure craft and it's one that the better you are at it, the more invisible the craft is and just looks like somebody saying funny stuff, you know, to the point that even other comedians will say that some comedians will say that about about other comedians. I remember this was a long time ago on Never Not Funny. I remember Jimmy and, and I think it might have been when Mike was there. I don't remember. But um, they were talking about Mitch Hedberg. Mm hmm who had an effortless quality to him. It just looked like he walked on stage. Part of, part of it was this, his yeah. persona, and part of it was just the types of jokes he told. It just looked like he he just wandered on stage and started saying stuff, and it was just naturally funny. Yeah. But somebody told a story about seeing him backstage, like saying, like, oh, that joke didn't work. I got to change that. Literally doing the same thing that everybody else does. And so that's how effortless it can look. 
to the point where even your peers feel like, well, this this is easy for them, surely. Look at that. Uh, and with comedy and telling a joke, everybody thinks they can do it. Um, and then when you see people that can do it well, you realize, oh, never mind. Yeah. You know, I think the three of us are pretty funny. Until we talk to <laughs> like uh, Jimmy or Paul Tompkins or Bill Dwyer or Jen Kirkman or any of the people that we've had on the show, yeah. and you just realize, oh my gosh, I am, you know, I'm a total amateur to the point that I have never thought to actually go and try to do this. Right. Um, and so I do think that the, the that yes. It, it would probably only appear uh, appeal to comedy nerds, but it might in that moment, if I get, get a little lofty, it might empower them to maybe preach the gospel of comedy to people that are not comedy nerds and help them to realize just how difficult it can be. Uh, All right. And, it, and it'll give me them over. ammunition. I'm an apprentice attraction. Well, I haven't seen the film. It might not be that good. I don't know. <laughs> All right, uh, Kyle, I think what's next for you is also what's next for me. Yeah, uh, I think so. Well, this is the one that I waited until basically midnight to, to see uh, because I didn't know that Sunday morning there was a P&I screening, yeah, which, which is, is what you went to. What, yeah, what I went to with, uh, uh, with Scott. Yeah, uh, which was this movie called Mercy, which was uh, written and directed by Chris Sparling. Yes, who I realized later while writing my review that I have met. Oh really? Uh, he wrote he, he wrote the movie Buried, the Ryan Reynolds uh, oh, coffin movie. Totally, that follows. That uh, makes yeah. perfect sense to me. And he was a guest on uh, Pilar Alessandra's podcast on the page when I was filling in as producer because mm. I was like looking up, I was writing the review, and I went to the IMDb page and I looked up, and I was like, "Oh, is this guy an actor? I recognize that face." Uh, and it took me a second to put together that, uh, yeah, I spent an hour talking to him yeah. <laughs> about Buried. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, anyway. um, but Mer- Mercy, yeah, Mercy is uh, uh, it's a really not long movie, but it's a um, I think it's only an hour seventeen or something like that. It, um, and it's a it's a thriller. It's set in uh, rural a rural town. I don't, it's not even a town. It's basically a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. In New York state, in New York state based on the driver or the, the, the license, the plate. license plates. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, there's the patriarch of this family and he, uh, his wife is, uh, suffering with some illness. I think it's like cancer or something like that. Yeah, unspecified. And unspecified. And she's living there. She's hooked up to machines. Um, but she's basically in pain. And, and the beginning is there's this, uh, this guy who says he's a doctor, but we find out that he's probably not a doctor who, who comes in, he's been calling and he's like, just, you need to ease your wife's suffering, gives him a black bag with something in it. You know, you're led to believe that it, this is going to be like, like a euthanasia. A euthanasia. Yeah. Um, while that's going, while that sets the scene, uh, the mother was married previously to this guy and she had two sons and then she, that guy died. Uh, and then she had got and left married, her a bunch of money, left that's her a ton of money, which was, which is very important to the story and then married this new guy and had two more sons and the, that father and the, the two younger sons can't stand the other two sons basically for just being alive. And also the, the dead ex-husband was abusive. Uh, to, right. the, to the wife. Yeah. So they just hate them on principle. And it's they, basically there's this inheritance that if she dies, it'll go to her husband. And then basically that would cut the older two kids out completely, even though it is technically their father's money. Um, and so it's all this stuff and they're all coming to the house to, to be around the mom while she, you know, is suffering and all this stuff. 
Um, and then, uh, the oldest son, which is the oldest, older son of the first set of kids is played by, uh, James Wolk, who played Bob Benson on Mad Men. Yeah. Uh, That's great, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Not, I wanted to say, I saw him, uh, cause obviously I said earlier, they were all there at this, the screening right. sitting in front of me and I was upset cause it was late and he was there yelling at somebody and I was just like, is that Bob Benson? And then he was in the movie. I was like, Oh, that's yeah, of course that's Bob Benson. Um, uh, he brings a friend, uh, this woman and, uh, by Caitlin Fitzgerald of masters of sex. Yeah, she's great. And, um, and the father, the, 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 the father of the, the living husband mm-hmm. is a actor whose name suddenly escapes me. Uh, something's a brisky. Um, no, that's, I thought that was the other. Okay, maybe yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, is it Lipinski? Tom Lipinski, Tom Lipinski? is the younger, the of, younger son, like okay. Bob Benson's younger, um, <laughs> right, the younger brother. Um, no, but the dad is played by uh, a guy who was on Treme, and apparently mm-hmm. was also on House of Cards, but I haven't watched House yeah. of Cards. Um, yeah, so basically, and so that so is the setup. Stars of t- TV, yeah, come to your <laughs> and it sets. It starts out kind of like Shotgun Stories sort of where it's these two, two sets of brothers who don't like each other and you feel like some, something bad is going to happen involving them. Uh, and then the night that they're all there, uh, the, the older kids find out that they've been cut out of the will or something like that. And it's kind of shady and they refuse to explain to the, to, um, the, the friend, the girl, uh, what's going on or exactly what's going on. And then there is a break in, in the house where people wearing masks and, uh, the older sons are the only ones there and the, and the friend, and they're not sure what's going on. They're not sure if it's the younger brothers doing this. And it, it becomes very, it's basically just, we need to stop these people from getting in to hurt our mom is what it looks like. It's going to be. Uh, and then it goes back in time and shows you the other side of the story. Yeah. And that's it, when it gets, yeah, I think the the whole intro before, up until the break in, I think, um, is a little slow. I think it's trying to be sort of atmospheric yeah. and eerie, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. just kind of like slow when people aren't talking enough. Like, yeah. They have plenty of, they're taking the amount of time it would take to get the exposition and rising action across and then just spreading it out. And yeah. I, I did, I did find myself even at a, a very short run, run time for the first, like, 20 minutes or so kind of tapping my feet a little bit like I would for it to start. But totally. then, yeah, once the break-in happens, it becomes uh, a very uh, uh, intricately plotted and clever uh, mm-hmm. movie. I'm not going to go so far. I'm repeating what I said in my review. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a smart movie. Yeah. I'm going to say it's clever because when you get to the, like it, it, it sets up questions like you were talking about. You don't know who these people are. Um, you think maybe it's, is it the older or yeah, the, the younger uh, brothers? Um, so it sets up questions and it goes back in time and sort of answers those questions and sets up more in a really um, fun way. But then once it gets to the final reveal, there it has a big twist. I see you're giving it the thumbs down. I feel like it was like, I didn't hate it. It was just, it was so preposterous that I was like, oh, that's the movie we're watching. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll, I guess, the, I guess this was just kind of pulpy yeah. all along. Like this, and it was it one of the, like it's supposed to like we originally yeah. euthanasia and all like, and, and there's a, uh, heavy uh you know she's uh the the dying mother is very religious very devout and very and a member of this kind of weird sect of christianity yeah, that is so like it seems like it's yeah. gonna be about something with that but then once it gets to the end it's, it's kind of like okay i guess i should have lowered my yeah if you go in with uh <laughs> lowered ambitions i think you'll have a really fun time it's a clever movie and it was one of those like I was waiting for the penny to drop in my own head because it was like, it didn't, they're talking about inheriting all this money from her. And, uh, uh, they, 
guess I don't want to give anything away because it's coming to Netflix. That's the other thing. It's, yeah. It was the Netflix logo appeared at the front. So yeah. it's, you're going to see it on Netflix soon. Um, but it's, it's like, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to make her die or are they trying to not make her die? Like I kept, right. I was very confused about that, but cause that's the only I way think that, yeah. And I think that confusion is intentional. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah, left yeah. On. And it was one of those things where it's like, the the husband and the younger sons maybe want her to die so that they can get the money and the older sons want her to stay alive a little bit longer so they can kind of work out you know like change the will or something like that but anyway it it basically the the interesting part is when when the break-in happens and there's all these guys in ski masks and uh and and you see things from different points of view at different times and yeah i there were parts of it that i thought were very clever as you say yeah all right um and then the next one was also something we both watched together which i um, I'm glad that I waited, unlike on Dying Laughing, which I wrote a, a middling review and now feel bad about. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> I waited to write my review of uh, Paint It Black, the uh, feature directorial debut of actress Amber Tamblyn, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't love it right away. Uh, but now I'm not going to go as far as to say I love it, but it is maybe after Bloodstripe, my second favorite thing I saw at the festival. Um, I think uh, of the things that I saw, it is my favorite thing that I saw. Um, um, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's called it's called Paint It Black. Um, it's based on a novel by Janet Finch, who wrote White Oleander, um, <laughs> which I never saw that movie. I uh, whatever happened to Alison Lohman? Um, right? She retired apparently. What was she in recently? I don't know. I don't recently, think she's been in anything I don't know. In a long time. Um, you guys talk. Look I don't know it what to up, say. Tyler. But anyway, look it we're not up. talking about Alison Lohman here. We're here to talk about uh, Amber Tamblyn. Amber Tamblyn, but her great cast, yeah. which is what makes this movie. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of actually great things going on in this movie in retrospect, uh, but mostly it's about Aaliyah Shawkat, whom I've never uh, disliked ever in anything. She's one of my favorite work, yeah. <laughs> working actors. And the great Janet McTeer. Yeah. Um, just butting heads and this is a movie where uh what, what's going on that's what happened she got dragged to hell uh right that was not recently that, yeah, was, no, 10 that was years ago <laughs> she was uh well and she, yeah that's what happened that's why she hasn't been in anything oh, recently. she got dragged to hell she was in gamer and then dragged me to hell and then in 2015 she was in something called the vatican tapes in which she was simply oh. she played a character called psych patient i is that literally it? So she did Drag Me to Hell in 2009, and then after that she didn't do anything until the Vatican tapes? Yeah. And then she was in... No, I think, cause uh, I, I think she... I want to say that she, like, became a mom full-time, right? Didn't she have a kid? In, oh, I don't... That, that I don't know. Like, it doesn't I, say I, that in the filmography. I guess what I'm saying is... It, I don't think Alison Lemon had trouble finding work after Drag Me to Hell. It right. was a conscious decision she took yeah. to not be in movies for a while. I forgot the Vatican tapes. I was supposed to go to that press screening and I couldn't make it for some reason. And I was weirdly bummed because I, if I get an invite to a movie that everyone says is terrible, a part of me is really excited. Like I couldn't wait to see Mother's Day. Um, uh, I was like, like the weekend before the press screen, I was like, I get to see Mother's Day on Monday. <laughs> I was weirdly excited about it. That um, was the uh, Darren Bowsman movie, right? Which one? Mother's the Day. Vatican. Mother's Day is the the Gary Marshall movie that just came out. The, oh, the, that uh, Mother's Day. Yeah. That's, it's not the horror movie Mother's Day. No, no. That came out a couple <laughs> years ago. Um, anyway. And then this year she's in a movie called Urge with uh, Pierce Brosnan and Justin Chatwin and Danny Masterson and Nick Thune, among others. Hmm. So... Yeah, that's interesting. Nice. Good for Allison. Um, yeah. But Ali, yeah, I was <laughs> speaking of Justin Chatwin. We'll get back to Paint It Black. Okay. Uh, I was flipping channels and I ended up watching a little bit of uh, War of the Worlds um, mm-hmm. uh, earlier this weekend. 
And uh, a couple of things. I hadn't seen it since the theater, and I was surprised by how much I remembered the whole movie. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, I know exactly what's coming next. It's like, it's been, it, the movie's over 10 years old now, right? It was yeah. 2005? 2005, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, really good movie. I'm glad that I didn't watch all of it because I remember hating the third act so much that mm-hmm. it kind of uh, soured the rest of the movie for me. But the other thing I noticed, and that my, my wife had never seen it, and she was, she was watching it some of it with me, is that uh, bleach bypass uh, uh, process um, that was very popular among cinematographers in the early to mid-2000s. Yeah. It really stands out in the world of the worlds. My, my wife was like, why does this movie look this way? That and like, Munich. I remember at the yeah, time Munich. being like, oh boy, this looks... Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind was uh, a yeah. one, but that heavily used the, the bleach bypa- bypass thing. And that's where like the... The hot spots look almost like they're shiny, like metallic, like glittery, yeah. which is uh, what uh, uh, kind of literally what is happening uh, with that. Um, anyway, I just thought it was interesting that it, uh, that that look was so commonplace at the time that I didn't really think about it. And now to see a movie from that very specific era, it really well, it was sort of out. like it's sort of like action movies from the, the late 80s and early 90s that were so smoky. They look yeah. very, very hazy. That's very much of that time, too. Like, yeah. Like, and, and I think Tony Scott was the one who kind of like ushered that in because every movie Tony Scott did was just the most smoky rooms yeah it would yeah or um uh also adrian lyon because like flash dance flash dance is not an action movie but it has that look yeah. it's all like uh telephoto lenses like everything's sort of flattened out and there's always steam coming out yeah. or fog or something coming up behind behind her i remember uh in the early 2000s i was hanging i was uh visiting with some friends in denver and and at this point amongst my old friends i was becoming i was my reputation is like the movie the movie one uh <laughs> you're the movie one <laughs> and so they would just ask me random movie questions none of them really related to anything uh-huh. and so one of them was like hey i've noticed something i've noticed a lot of suspense movies are really blue these days uh-huh. like visually blue and he's like why is that? And I was like, you know what? I actually don't know. Uh, probably one did it a few years ago and it yeah. was very successful. So they all think that this is what it needs to yeah. be. Well, that's what happens. Cause, um, going back to Spielberg after saving private Ryan, every action movie had that shutter speed yeah. thing. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Whenever, yeah, yeah, yeah. like even to like, I think like Xena princess warrior was doing like in their action sequences were doing like the, the changing the shutter speed. So you'd see like flex of like the dirt being kicked up or, hmm. or whatever. You don't know talk about the way. Yeah. That yeah, yeah absolutely. Look? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's yeah. just uh, for whatever reason, like something either made a lot of money or it was just seen as legitimate. It did this. Yeah. And so suddenly this is what it needs to be for the next probably four or five years. And it's like after 300, it was all speed ramp. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Just uh-huh. It, it is. You're right. It's it's one movie does it. And yeah. it was like, oh, we got to do that, too. <laughs> and then, well, it. Because um, a bunch of uh, 1930s thugs are yeah. running uh, Hollywood, apparently. What's funny is, though, um, after the matrix like the bullet time thing was like only for a year or so and then like yeah. they kind of figured out how to do it with cgi i think and that's yeah. what like i think the other the only other big movie that i remember using the bullet time thing um was uh swordfish in the the opening yeah the opening explosion when the that's hostage right. explodes and there's like ball bearings that's right and the camera goes around the whole like police setup uh yeah. Well, I like, think it's because it's a very like to do it properly the way they did it in the Matrix and also in Swordfish, you need a however many cameras, still cameras. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it's it's a harder process than just CGIing it. Yeah. And I think I think with Matrix Reloaded, it, it they fell back on kind of easier tropes and so people were like, "Oh, it's 
It's just a one and done type of thing. Yeah. They're not going to innovate every time they do it. Yeah. All right, All right, so let's get back to Paint It Black. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the story is uh, Aaliyah Shawkat um, plays a young woman whose um, boyfriend... It's It takes place... Um, it doesn't say. I'm guessing the 80s, do you think? I was having a trouble. It could be the 80s. It could be present day. I have no idea. Yeah, well, it's... I mean... The, there's no cell phones or laptops or computers yeah, that's in the movie true. at all. So that, but it does have a feel. It feels like it could be now. Yeah, uh, sort of like how um, I watched Train Spotting a million times in the '90s before I realized that it took place in the '80s. Yeah, um, like because it, it just sort of had it had a very contemporary feel. Um, and then there's also like there is one thing that I didn't like: uh, Aaliyah Shawkat and Alfred Molina go to a bar that i know it's called the villain's tavern and that's fine i know the villain's tavern wasn't around in the 80s but that's fine but this the door that says villain's tavern is very prominent behind them and they're drinking cocktails out of mason jars which to me feels very 2010s this is why yeah. i can't I, I couldn't figure out when it was but you're right like she only talks to uh, uh when she's on the phone it's a it's a, a house phone like a cord corded phone yeah and she has an answering machine yeah and, yeah so but uh but apparently, because I, I was talking about it with uh, Scott afterwards, and he, apparently the novel takes place in the 80s and is actually more tied into the uh, uh, L.A. hardcore like punk scene, mm. which we see a little bit of at the beginning. She goes to a couple punk shows. Yeah. Um, but apparently that's a bigger part of the novel. Um, anyway, uh, her she's... Uh, you know, a punk rocker, I guess, and who works as a uh, nude model for art classes, and her boyfriend is a... Uh, a uh, kid, a uh, wealthy kid whose mother is a famed uh, concert pianist um, and is one of the students who drew her in one of the art classes. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, he commits suicide or she learns of his suicide. We never see him commit suicide. Um, and it becomes um, a sort of war between Aaliyah Shawkat's character and this character's mother, Janet McTeer, uh, who never approved of Aaliyah Shawkat. Um, and, they're fighting over his possessions and sort of in a more, I guess, uh, conceptual way of fighting over his memory. And, yeah. And, and, and they sort of like blame each other it. in a weird way yeah. or it's, yeah, it's, I, I w- was sort of, it's a, it's a hard movie to watch because at, at certain points it is funny and you're like, Oh, is this, it's, but it's not a comedy at all. Right. It's really very heavy. And it, it is just about these two women and their grief and how, debilitating it is because this this young man this boy was there each of their whole lives basically yeah and like janet mcteer by reese wakefield uh whom we all know from the purge not the musical uh, (laughs) yeah he's the main bad guy in the first that's right purge yeah um he's terrifying in that movie and uh uh but yeah he plays uh he, he is throughout the film kind of through through their memories and we get little flashbacks and things like that and um uh Jenna McTeer basically like she's her, her son was her whole life. And Alfred Molina plays like her ex-husband was the boy's father. And they like, you know, he was kind of a non-entity, I guess. Um, but, uh, when he started dating Ali Shawkat's character, they, he stopped talking to his mom. And so she would like have her followed and stuff like that. And like, cause she's very wealthy and, uh, yeah, we, it, it's this weird kind of like they need each other cause they both need to like, they need someone in their lives cause they're both so lonely, but they also hate each other in the same way. And it's a very, it's this, it's a destructive and, and not healthy relationship that they both kind of need at the time. It's, it's a, it's a interesting portrait of these two people. I thought, yeah, and I think I was the thing that turned me off a little bit at first, but eventually became the reason that I love the movie is that it's a very exaggerated and Baroque type melodrama. Yeah. I think it's very yeah. like, uh, 
purple, I guess, and it's in its dialogue and its emotions. It's always, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of actual like garment rending, but there's probably some garment rending mm-hmm. <laughs> going on. It's that kind of movie where thing, everyone's feeling things very intensely. Yeah. Um, and, but that's not, uh, I think that that's an intentional stylistic choice, yeah. I think, and especially, um, uh, echoed by the terrific cinematography yes by uh brian rigney hubbard i had to, I had to look him up um it, the movie uh, i think the um it's is very rich in color but mm-hmm. it also seems kind of old and faded i i compared it in my review to like a faded record cover yeah it, you know it, it, it has these sort of warm bleeding colors uh it's fantastically fun to look at uh, yeah. and yeah, in, in retrospect, I, I'm glad I took, I took some time to think about it. In fact, I don't know, did, did she come that one of the, the PR rep for the movie came up, yeah, to, came up movie to you yeah. and was like, are you pressed? Can I get your reaction to the movie? And I was like, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I need to think about this yeah. and I'm, I'm glad I did. Uh, cause I've come around to really liking it quite a bit. Yeah. That, this was a movie that I definitely also needed. This was, I think the last review I wrote. Um, cause I kind of part, I saw the, the movies very close together, but then I parsed the reviews out throughout the week. And, uh, this was the last one I wrote and I was, um, I need that much time to kind of process it because, uh, but it's, it's, it's very impressive. Both women give amazing performances, but I feel like Alia Shawkat, there's so many times when it's just kind of a montage of her doing stuff, either with him in flashback or just kind of her out in the world kind of dealing mm-hmm. with stuff. And there's just like, she just is so broken and she gives a very raw and real performance. Yeah. Um, which I was incredibly impressed by her. But, uh, by the way, David, I do like the idea that maybe they quoted you anyway in the, <laughs> in, the in the trailer. It's like David Max of battleship pretension says, I need a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, she's, I hope uh, if this, this is probably not going to be an Oscar type movie, but uh, Janet McTeer, um, this is the kind of performance that gets nominations because yeah. it's very, it's very showy, but also, but in a good way. Yeah. Um, and I think Janet McTeer is terrific and I just feel like she never, she got nominated for tumbleweeds in like 2000. Is that when that movie came out? I think that was 2000 or 99. I don't remember. Okay. Um, and I think she was also nominated for Albert knobs for supporting. Oh, was she nominated for that. Okay. Yeah. Cause that, yeah, I saw her in that. Um, but I feel like she's never broken through like she, uh, needs to, but I saw her in the space of a week. I saw her play a uh, wealthy uh, mother um, twice in this and in Me Before You. Oh, I don't know. If she was in that. Yeah, she plays uh, Sam Sam Claflin. What's his name? Claflin. Claflin. Claflin's yeah. uh, too many mother. Too many elves. <laughs> um, yeah, but she's a very nice woman in Me Before You. Not, yeah, not so much in Painted Black. No, Though she is still sympathetic. Sometimes she's yeah. awful, and then sometimes but they're, they're both awful. Like yeah. you, they like you. You kind of are led to stay with Alia Shawkat's character because she's the the lead of the movie, and right. and Jenna McTeer is the antagonist. But they're both really do awful, awful things to each other. But it's yeah. sort of like this weird, like friendship for lack of a better word. Like, but then, yeah, it's, it's a movie that I think, uh, it's, it's not an easy movie to watch, but I was engaged the entire time. Yeah. And it's also like a lot of the movies at LA film fest. It's not very long. It's, they're all about 90 minutes. It seems like yeah. most of the movies big, I saw big fan of LA film fest for that. Yeah. yeah they, I, not, I don't think any of the ones that I even looked at were much over maybe a hundred minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think. Well, yeah, last year I saw Victoria there, which is over two hours, but uh, no complaints because that yeah. movie's fucking great. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do like LA Film Fest that they <laughs> like they pick short stuff. They also, without 
um, I, I think I talked about this when we did our preview uh, episode without really like tooting their own horn about it. They do pre- present movies from a diverse uh, group of filmmakers. A lot of, yeah. y- you know, uh, a lot of minorities and a lot of women uh, directing uh, directing these movies. And that's uh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. I only have one more. What do you? I've only got one more, too. OK, what do you go first? All right. My last one. Uh, it, it was another horror movie. Um, was called Velisca, which was directed by Tony E. Valenzuela. I wanted to see that. Um, you're good. Uh, <laughs> I liked the post that like the certain movies they had posters up in the arc like yeah. hallway. And that was a cool, poster. that was a cool poster. I agree. And that's kind of what made me want to see it. Um, it was, uh, right at the beginning, it said, uh, produced in association with YouTube space LA. <laughs> and I was, I was like, <laughs> Oh no. Um, but it, it, it's, it's basically, it's of the YouTube generation. It's like a ghost story type of thing. But, it, but so it starts with, there's a real house called in Villisca, um, uh, I forget the state, uh, somewhere in the Midwest, uh, Iowa, maybe I think it's, yeah, it's Iowa. And, uh, in 1913, uh, a, a father killed his, uh, his whole family with an ax because he said that there were some like evil spirits mm-hmm. in them or whatever. And, uh, that house has become like a place uh, where tourists go and take tours. And John Grise, who I like a lot is, is, uh, oh, yeah. is, um, the guy who runs the tours and everything like that. And these three kids go to spend the night there and well, they go to take the tour, but then they end up spending the night there. Um, uh, but it's very of the YouTube generation. Uh, like the, the two main guys are going to document it for their YouTube channel where they hunt ghosts and stuff like that. And then the main girl who ends up going with them, uh, much to the chagrin of one of the guys, uh, she's new in town, but she like got drunk at a party and had sex and the guy, uh, taped it or, you know, Mm -hmm. filmed it on his phone and put it on YouTube to ruin her life essentially for no reason it seems. And so she's kind of having to deal with all that. Uh, and so the whole time they're in the house, there is something evil there and, uh, it manifests in each of them by like trying to, I guess, show them the worst parts of their self or like make them deal with their own issues. And, uh, and essentially friend does. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And then they almost kill each other. <laughs> like I, I, there was some really interesting cinematography. Some of the, some of the ghosts were really scary. Some of the scare moments were pretty good, but overall it felt really, uh, dumb. (laughs) Like I I just, I didn't care for any of the characters. Um, the ghost, like I know supernatural movies don't necessarily need to have logic because it's just any weird stuff can happen, but like it, it didn't make any sense. Like in, uh, the two, the two daughters of the, the guy at the, the, guy in the 19 in 1913 who killed them they are the girl ghosts are there throughout the whole movie and you're never sure if they're helpful or or evil or malevolent and you're you never find out (laughs) you just kind of go well now they're being helpful but also they look like they're gonna want to kill them i just didn't get it i didn't really care for uh the way it was presented and uh it felt very cloying at times to me because they were uh, n- not characters that I cared at all about. Cloying is a good uh, transition um, to <laughs> the film I'm going to talk about. If I, I started LA Film Fest with Bloodstripe, my favorite movie of the fest, and I ended it with my least favorite. Out uh, with a whimper. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's called The Sweet Life. That's what the cloying part comes in. Mm. That was my little, uh, my little joke. Um, 
<laughs> that was a Pat reference. Uh, an old joke. Uh, <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, the Sweet Life, see if you can... La Dolce Vita? Yeah, yes. But see if you can not throw up while I tell you what the story is. Challenge accepted. Here we go. Chris Messina and Abigail Spencer. Off the bat, good good stuff. Yeah. Great cast. Um, are two suicidal people. Okay. Who meet on a bridge in Chicago. Okay. Then steal a car and decide to road trip to San Francisco to throw themselves off the Golden Gate Bridge. That's the story. All right. It's a, so it's a very sort of self-consciously uh, dark, um, quote-unquote dark, uh, indie comedy. Um, of course, uh, I was talking to um, my friend uh, uh, Charlie Schmidlin, who's a, a, a critic we need to have on the show. He's, he's great, um, about the movie. And I was telling, I told him that story, um, and and he was like, and let me guess, they pick up a hitchhiker, and I was like, two hitchhikers, they pick up a redneck gay couple, <laughs> and Charlie did that. Uh, I don't know how to do this on a podcast with that thing, where, like like where you <laughs> kiss your fingertips and like toss them forward, like like uh, like perfect, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and that's that's just the kind of movie that it is. It's uh, just wacky, but dark quote-unquote dark in a way that i think a uh as a former uh high school drama club member myself i think a high school drama club member would uh would this would be their favorite movie of the year um someone who um likes the smiths a lot might like this movie uh and i that's coming from someone who likes the smiths but um you mean you mean me and jen (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly um hey i like the smiths uh, hey all right (laughs) uh it's i don't know what else to say about it i mean it's just it's it's it happened one night except it's about suicidal people yeah here's okay so this could be said about any number of types of movies but i find myself wondering why do they keep making these (laughs) like what what does the sweet life have to bring to this already very tired subgenre of comedy or drama yeah. or whatever it is just this quirky type of thing. Like, I don't know. I, you can, obviously you can make something good out of anything. It doesn't matter what genre it is, but at the same time, like I don't remember the last time I saw a movie that's like this, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and uh, also the movie went from being annoying to actually kind of pissing me off a little bit. Um, when it gets to, explaining why they're depressed as if like not treating depression as an illness that is an actual real thing and mental illness, but it's like, Oh, they each have one very specific unaddressed thing from their past. They need to confront. Uh, and that kind of pissed me off. Yeah. And that, that definitely shows to me that the people making the movie are just using suicide and depression and stuff is just like, Oh, um, we need uh, like a character quirk. Yeah, uh, we need something. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, I know this uh, suicide. One of the most debilitating things ever, and uh, depression not far behind. Uh, let's just do that and use it as like a depression is basically a MacGuffin here. Yeah, uh, yeah. As is suicide, and that's uh, I don't like well, to use like, the term offensive, but it's uh, dismissive and reductive at least. Well, it's like. Um, 
Natalie Portman's character in Garden State likes the shins. Sure. Abigail Spencer's character wants to no longer exist. (laughs) 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 The same thing. She's still a manic pixie dream girl. (laughs) Um, I wanted to point, I didn't go see this movie, so I can't say whether it's good or not, but sometimes you read the synopsis of movies and you know right away, I'm not going to go see that movie, right? Uh Especially film festivals when you know nothing. There's a movie called Namor. Okay. Which uh, was an LA Muse, which is one of their things where specifically the Submariner which I wanted it to be, but okay. it's not. Um, uh, but the, the image is a guy f- floating in a pool with sunglasses on or whatever. And it's, it says Namor. So it has to do with the water in some way. Yeah. Looks like a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> See if you guys can guess the, <laughs> the specific, this is a fun phrase game. or sentence in this synopsis that made me check out. Okay. Hang on. I wasn't going to see this movie or I might've seen this movie until this part of it. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll buzz in. Yeah. When we think I, I've got it. Okay. okay. Set in the city of angels during the economic recession of the late two thousands, a 20 something Egyptian American valet driver must come to grips with his dead end job, disintegrating family and disappearing relationships in this stylish homage to Los Angeles. I don't know. Was it the, uh, the economic yep. crisis? Yeah, there it ding, is. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Set in the city of angels. Okay. It's LA Muse. I get yeah. it. During the economic recession of the late 2000s, I'm so fucking tired of people making yeah. movies about that. Yeah. And just like, <laughs> I don't know. I just saw that movie. Not, I didn't just see it. It was a couple months ago. But I saw like, Get a Job. I fucking hated that movie. <laughs> More than anything. That yeah, is the I most, really did not ugh. care for it. It came out way later than it should have because there were other problems with the movie in any way. Very much so. But God damn it. That movie sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, to play a similar version of the game, even though this is exactly what happened when we did our preview episode. I don't know if you remember that I started reading one of the descriptions and I couldn't even make it through <laughs> reading the description. Uh, this is what we call the hundred streets, a hundred streets. The, the synopsis is this multi-stranded drama. I'm out. Yeah. It is set within one specific area of contemporary London. The cast yeah. of characters face major choices and changes in their separate lives as their paths sometimes cross. Novel. All of these interconnecting stories paint a picture of a society where a person is often loneliest within a crowd. Ugh. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. This is So I didn't I, go see that one. This is what I'm talking about at this point. Like, <laughs> look, a movie does not have to be original. Like my, my favorite movie last year was Brooklyn, which is not the most original movie, but boy, it's wonderful. And it's just like, but I think it's, I think it's, it's simplicity is, is what's so great about it. Whereas these try to make, they try to embrace certain aspects of uh, life as saying like, Oh, this is the most complicated thing ever. But it's just like, yeah, but your complications are completely fabricated. Yeah. Or, again, really reductive. Uh, that's the thing. Depression is not a complication, nor <laughs> yeah. is being suicidal, yeah. but they want to treat it as just any other story element. What was just, that movie that came out a couple of years ago where uh, uh, those, f- I think it had like Pierce Brosnan and Imogen Poots and Aaron Paul and a, th- and a thir- fourth person where they were all going to jump off a building the same time? And then they all decided to wait a year or whatever it was, a month maybe. Uh, and, and then if they, all did, if they all came back and they all still wanted to kill each other or kill themselves, they would all do it at the same time. I didn't see it, but that just, sounds I, yeah. ungodly terrible to me. How many fucking packs are made in real life as opposed to movies? Also, what are the odds four people would want to jump off the same roof at the same night? Yeah. How uh, overpopulated is this yeah. city? Um, that statistically that would happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's called a, a long way down. That's it. Oh. Yeah. 
<laughs> even a stupid it's, title. Yeah. Then the, the fourth person is Tony Collette. That's right. Fantastic okay. cast. That's a great yeah. cast. Brosnan, Tony Collette, Imogen Poots, and Aaron Paul. Wow. That's a cast. I remember that the I think the first time I had that thought of Oh, something that people in movies do, I'm going to say 100% more than they do in real life, was right. when I saw Little Miss Sunshine. And though I think Paul Dano is very good in it, it's like, vow of silence. All right. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and they're not monks. That's the other yeah. thing. Like, if they're, like, I saw Into Great Silence, which, okay, vow of silence. But even then, they give themselves a day off a week. Uh, yeah. And just like... Yeah, there's uh, the, not... Sort of along those lines is the new amc show feed the beast i watched the pilot it's oh, okay dreadful <laughs> um and david schumer is a an alcoholic single father whose uh, wife died a year ago in a car crash and his son hasn't spoken since <laughs> how old is his son uh i don't know I, look it's a little kid yeah okay i'm bad at th- it could the kid could be four it could be 15 years old i have no okay. idea i'm bad at telling how old kids are let's say somewhere between four and 15 this seems is somehow ageist they all look alike to you d- yeah um, uh, yeah under a certain age you can't vote or smoke a cigar i don't care how old you are you're the same age you're fair enough you're little so <laughs> you're little so okay and it makes me think like okay I'm, what are I, the, and i feel like because i guarantee we have listeners who are like 15 and 16 uh, and i now feel bad <laughs> you're you know what though they're smart yeah yeah so, they're one of the good ones they're like they're like we were <laughs> yeah like we were in yeah. high school you can't say one of the good ones <laughs> we can't about this all yeah. right uh yeah because <laughs> some, I, some of them are okay i guess <laughs> you know uh, i am now quoting ed begley and uh, 12 angry men uh, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh and it makes me wonder these these little uh shitty quirks in movies it makes me wonder like okay so what if someone were making a movie of my life what are some of the quirks i have that they would totally exploit in a movie and i say that looking at my riddler wall and it's just like okay but that's just a collection people do collect things yeah mm-hmm. but like what is there like about my behavior uh, maybe the maybe my food thing i don't know but even then it's just like all right i'm a, I'm a little bit picky that's not okay well to be fair I'm, you're, I'm, I'm you're a lot of picky. I'm, I'm extremely picky, picky but at the same there time there are more like, things you don't eat than things you eat well that's probably <laughs> that's true, absolutely yes. true. <laughs> um but uh but it, would that be something that would that be something in a movie that they could exploit? Oh, I, I could write a movie, but I don't know what a picky eater you are. <laughs> and he has. I've. Uh, oh, I'm producing it. Oh, this is a this is revenge for speech and debate. Uh, when I showed what a that shitty was, roommate yeah. you were. Hey, that was a movie that Tyler made called Speech and Debate, where That's I was right. a shitty roommate. I tried to make my character look bad too, but what can I do? Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, the other thing I wanted. So uh, as a wrap up i guess uh i love the LA, la film fest oh, i will continue to i do feel like this year there were the problems especially on saturday with things yeah. like, but i do feel overall this was kind of just a middle of the road like there was blood stripe was amazing and uh like i said painted black uh, it was very good really yeah. liked but there was not like i don't know it felt like it was kind of a middling year uh uh, overall in terms of compared to other, yeah. other years. I feel like that, that tends to happen. I don't, I don't know what, like last year for whatever reason, anything in the LA muse was terrible. Like it just kind of happened that way. Cause they were looking for, you know, LA, that is a specific thing for film independent does for the LA film fest. They want movies set in LA mm-hmm. and made in LA. Uh, but for whatever reason last year, they were just all the ones that I saw anyway, I didn't see everything, but like they were just not good. And, yeah. and I, I feel like sometimes they have a certain, 
all film festivals, they have a certain quota they need to hit. Right. Uh, and, and it's also, they have quite a few people watching these movies. So, you know, everyone's tastes are different, but I, I do agree that it, nothing really stood out as, uh, like amazing. Like I, I'm glad I, I'm sure I didn't hear, but I'm sure painted black is going to get distribution. Yeah. I feel like it, there's no way it can't. Did you see all the people listed as executive producers of that movie? Oh, was it a Kickstarter? It thing? was, no, it was like, uh, Oh, it was, it was all like, things. it was like Steve Buscemi and like people who are not in the film at all, yeah. but were, mm. I'm like, well, it must and, pay to have yeah. Amber Tamlin be from a, a Hollywood tip family. of the hat to Amber Tamlin as an actress turned director, not putting herself in the movie Absolutely. at all. <laughs> and she did a, a, like we said, a really good job. I thought, um, but yeah, um, I, did, I, um, I, you, you run into that anytime you have a film festival with that many independent films, which, you know, obviously that's great. Um, but not every movie that gets made is great. Like mm-hmm. some of them are just okay. Um, yeah, but, but like as, as, as much as I loved, um, blood stripe there's nothing there's nothing this year like victoria was last year or a few years ago um what was the documentary called it was called like something to the end of the world it was uh, about the anyway it was terrific and now i can't remember that i'm trying to look, look up the name of it uh but it was a documentary where um there was this bit of land that had been inaccessible for a century century because of glaciers but the glaciers melted expedition expedition to the end of the world. I yeah. think that's what it was called. Um, and so suddenly like, Oh, you can go here. So they put a bunch of scientists and a bunch of artists on a boat together to go explore this, this land. Uh, it, that was a terrific movie. Um, has that gotten any distribution? Yeah, it did. It did eventually like a year later okay. it did come out. Um, but, uh, what I'm saying is there's nothing, I'm, I'm not leaving the LA film fest this year, like ready to go to bat for a certain, yeah. Movie. I hope people see blood stripe, um, and paint it black. Yeah. But well, and I hope play the devil comes out too. I hope, yeah. Cause I think that's, we'll go movie. the other way with it and just say like, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to kill the sweet life. What can I, <laughs> you know, let's give it a shot. All right. Um, Kyle, thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Always this was fun. Um, look forward to next year's LA Film Fest. Uh, you can find us. You can find all reviews of uh, all the movies I talked about today at uh, BattleshipPretension.com. That's also where you can find this podcast, all the other podcasts in the fleet, all the other movie reviews, including Warcraft, um, uh, your Warcraft review. Um, uh, I will not be posting a review of me before you. Sorry. Uh, movie's already out. <laughs> um, in, ca- in case you're, you're wondering. Um, that's uh, at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me, uh, I'm David, on Twitter at DaveyPretension, and you can follow Tyler on Twitter at TylerPretension. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. That's true, and uh, we got a couple things going on right now. Number one, and I'm going to put this out to BP listeners that also listen to More Than One Lesson. All right? That's the key. I don't want any uh, random BP people. We are putting together a listener-compiled top 50 movies of all time. Okay. So if you are, and I want it to be, here's why I want it to be only more than one lesson people, because I'm interested to see, because there's a lot of overlap between our listeners and, and, you know, those people. Uh, now, are you sure you should be doing this before the Passion of the Christ Two comes out? You know what? Here's a, I, I've been seeing a lot. Of, I've been seeing a lot about that, and honestly, like it's all about like the resurrection. And part of me's like, good. That's what I thought the Passion was missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not opposed yeah. to it. Like, I, and I think he'd probably do it well. But where is he going to find all the blood? Like, there's. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's not a bloody part. Like, oh, I'm unless, sure. I'm sure some like, Zella will be really angry about well, things. No, here's what it is. It keeps cutting back to him actually pushing the stone away. Sure. He's like rubbing his and cutting fingers. his hands. Up. Yeah, yeah, his yeah. fingers are are yeah. bleeding. Well, That's he, what it's going to be. And he he comes out of the tomb and he's he's all cut up on the side. Still, he's still got there all his go. wounds. Oh, there, there you go. go. They're not but it's still seeping. Yeah. Oh, it's like it's like a uh, kill bill. Like it's just gushing blood, just spraying blood. Um, <laughs> Everything that needs to happen, you know, he's reappearing to St. Thomas or whatever, just the entire time. Just yeah. Um, so uh, so we are putting uh, putting this list together, and I want to see if more than one lesson, which. Most of our listeners are Christian, but not all of them. In fact, I'd say about 60% of them are, 40% are not. But nonetheless, I just want to see if the nature of what more than one lesson is and the fact that people are listening to it, if that will change what the what the assumption of what great movies are, uh, if it will change what that assumption looks like. Um, so far, yes. The top 10 is, in many ways, a standard top 10 movies of all time. But there's a couple that are in there that I won't say what they are right now that surprise me quite a bit mm. um, that they are that high up. But uh, so, yes, if you are a listener of More Than One Lesson, email me, Tyler at More Than One Lesson dot com with with 10 submissions ranked, by the way, please. 10 to 1, 10 being the worst of those 10 and one being the best. Uh and uh, do that before the 25th, please. But then also, as far as episodes, um, I'm rather proud of this episode, so I'm going to take a moment to really talk okay. about it. Um, we did an episode about a service called VidAngel, which I have only I only heard about a few weeks ago, and uh, then I started really hearing about it. And it is that CleanFlix thing, David, where, uh, except, here's what it is. you It's a streaming service where you can you can rent but officially you're buying the movie for $20 and then you can apply a bunch of filters to it so you can filter out content you don't like and then once you finish it then you sell it back to them for if you get it done in a day uh $19 so you've rented it for a dollar uh and this buying sell back thing apparently is like a way of getting past any kind of legality issues um, yeah, because you're doing it to your own property. Yeah. Even though I was talking with a uh, friend of the show, Eric 13, and he was just like, he goes, yeah, but historically, the idea of selling back or reselling digital content uh, doesn't exist. There was a, uh, like a uh, lawsuit involving eBay where somebody was trying to do that, and it was ruled that that's not feasible. So it remains to be seen if this service is going to be around in a year. Mm. Um, but uh, But I have a problem with the service on... Let's say it's all 100% legal and everything's fine. Yeah. They found all the proper loopholes. So let's say it's that. Um, no, I hate you of proper loopholes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Damn those proper loopholes. Um, but uh, so I have Josh and Reed, so two of, the th- of my three coasts, to talk about the instinct to censor something for yourself as opposed to either taking it or leaving it. Yeah, uh, because I think the instinct of I want to watch this movie, but without all this stuff, it's like, well, then you're not watching the movie. Right. And right. so that is what we explore. And I'm, I'm very ha- I'm very happy with that episode. All right. Um, uh, my other podcast is called Hey, Watch This. We are um, I don't know how to be. We're not doing an episode this week. Um, Paul has uh, decided and I support his decision to out of respect for the 
victims of the uh, shooting as a recording was uh, last night uh, in in Florida um, to we decided to take a week take a week off uh, I don't know how to be articulate or well, now we look or, like jerks yeah <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know what to um, say about it um, that that hasn't already been been said yeah. um, so uh, our sympathies and respect to the uh, victims in there families and the survivors i read a a thing on twitter well i read a lot of things on twitter not all of them i'm thrilled with obviously but that like this is officially being considered like an act of terror isis has claimed uh responsibility and that just from a a number of victims standpoint it is like the biggest terror attack on since 9-11 yeah as far as uh, just number of victims and uh that's crazy to think about but it's uh you know horrifying it is but um okay and it's weird to like wrap things up it's it's weird to say that and be like kyle what are you up to these days yeah we well, we should uh speaking of twitter here i'll put a buffer in between okay um you're talking about reading things you weren't necessarily happy with mm-hmm. on twitter now i'm a big proponent as as you know of uh, as you are evidence of of uh i want to be around people who have different ideas than i do sure I want to believe that. Uh, that doesn't apply to Twitter for me. For some reason, I think of that Twitter as like a place where I want to have fun and read stuff I want to read. Yeah. And I follow people pretty much for movies or hockey. Those are the two things that I follow on, on Twitter. Movies and hockey. Um, some comedians. And if somebody's tweeting really. about Miracle, I'll uh, watch out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so if someone has an opinion on movies or hockey that I disagree with, that's fine. But if one of those movies or hockey people uh, expresses a political opinion I disagree with, I will unfollow almost immediately. <laughs> well, uh, it's, I think... It, that's just not... Uh, I want to curate my Twitter feed to, to be uh, enjoyable yeah. and a break from... The rest of my life, which is where I find that Which stuff. is why I set up a separate Twitter feed, not under my own name, uh, that is purely, purely politics. Oof. So that, like, if I'm in the mood to engage in politics, I will just li- sign into that. The rest of the time, it's, it's just, one of those days when you're not feeling furious enough. Kind of, yeah. Like, or when well, I'm feeling particularly nice and furious, right. and I can uh, tweet things at Donald Trump. That's Kyle. a genuine thing I do. Kyle, mm-hmm. where uh, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Functional Nerd. Um, uh, I, I have not been tweeting very much lately since I, uh, I I was given a new position at Nerdist, which Ooh. is totally, oh. yeah, <laughs> I'm officially the associate editor of oh. Nerdist. Um, so, I, but uh, I still try to tweet as much as possible because I'll often think of stupid jokes or whatever, and, <laughs> and I tweet out all my uh, my reviews and things, but which you can read at Nerdist.com. Uh, uh, I'm coming up. I'm almost to 2,500 articles written for wow. nerdist.com. Wow. So, um, since I started there. So yeah. And that's basically functional nerd on Twitter or, uh, uh, on nerdist. Right. And then I should say that you do, uh, have a podcast that's part of the, I have a couple podcasts. Fleet. Yeah. Uh, there's the classic horror the, yeah, the cast, classic horror cast, which, which comes out once, once a month. month. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, we may or may not be taking a break with the, this current month just okay. because, uh, my, my co-hosts who do not live in the state are also busy guys. Okay. Um, but our, our most recent episode was, um, Oh gosh, I don't remember what that was. The Exorcist. That's right. Our most recent episode was The Exorcist, which was uh, an interesting discussion. Uh, our next episode will be about Wes Craven's Scream. Oh boy, um, which I have come to the conclusion is not a slasher movie at all. It is in fact a giallo. Hmm. Okay, that's something I want to hear. Yeah, so I'll talk about that when we record that episode. Can it be both? Uh, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of because um, I, I guess I feel like giallo is more about um, style. Than it is about 
I guess I think of genre as having more to do with uh, narrative conventions. Sure. You know, but um, I feel like, and so I feel like you could apply Giallo uh, to, there's always room for Giallo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You> <laughs> to, to every different, uh, every different. I genre. feel like it's, uh, I agree with you. It is sort of a narrative function, but like most Giallo are, um, uh, just straight up murder mysteries. And mm-hmm. they're usually about people who are not cool, like, or, or like de- deplorable in some way. And you know, one of them is the killer. It's sort of like, I was okay. going to say, I've, I've, I've viewed scream as a whodunit for a long yeah, time, which I is basically a horror based whodunit. Then it's this other thing. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's the Italian kind of style. And the other thing about it is like a lot of jolly will, and you can hear more of this on the classical Um, but, um, most Gialli, you see the killer the whole time, and they might be wearing a cloak or them or a mask or anything like that. But you always, see, whereas most slasher movies like Halloween or uh, uh, anything that came after, like Friday the Thirteenth or whatever, like you know who the, the killer is, but it's there's a lot of stalking going on. There's a mm. lot of suspense building up to them. Whereas I think most of the killing in uh, in Scream, it's like there's the bad guy. Let me run from it. It becomes right. a lot more like that, which yeah. I feel like is more. Uh, more of a jolly trope. And I've been watching a ton of jolly recently because, uh, arrow video, the super awesome arrow video has been putting out a ton. Um, so that's my new thesis about scream. Scream is great. I love that movie so much. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, you can get our commentary. You know, what's great about scream sweaters. All those sweaters are great. (laughs) All right. Yes. You can find more, uh, sweater talk. uh, If you get our scream commentary, all our commentaries are still uh, available. Marathon commentaries with the, with the Batman most recently we did. Uh, check those out. Um, thanks, everybody. And, uh, thanks at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 